Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, June 9, 843-661-0937. I was asked, good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. I was asked yesterday if I would accept an invitation to be the guest speaker, uh, the keynote speaker at a, um, a summit. I hardly ever get invited to summit. So that's more the proper and prim class, prim and proper class. Uh, but I did get invited yesterday about estate planning and <laughs> life after marriage. <laughs> why, why do I not believe that? Yeah. No, I did not. Uh, my wife, I get home and she said, what are you talking about? And I said, what do you mean? She said, three people came to my shop and said, hey, is Ken sick? I mean, he's on death's bed. Oh, you know, because he's talking about what, what will happen. And, what, and he brought up some joker. <laughs> I mean, I, what, what does that mean? I mean, he talks his own language at times, yeah. and I'm not sure that I understand. Say, say Tammy, I, I think that uh, he was referring to your future husband. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's <laughs> kind of what. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I've, I've exited stage right, and th- there's a joker that shows up, and, and I want to protect, you know, um, what, what I have worked hard for. And, and you know, I want to reiterate, my father worked real hard. I've said before, and I'll say it again. Um, the beauty in Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Chase Elliott, pop quiz rev, is what? I mean, the beauty, the, they, the reason they're so enormously popular amongst NASCAR fans is they know they were born on third. Correct. I mean, they, they know that if their name were Chase Smith and Dale Jones, they'd probably have had a lot harder go of it to become NASCAR superstars. Two of the biggest personalities in NASCAR. I love it when Junior says on his podcast. And he said it recently, um, when he chased back in that car, because <laughs> we're losing about 600,000 viewers when Chase ain't in that car, mm. whether you like Chase or not. Denny Hamlin even said on his, um, he said that he and Chase spoke privately and a reporter pride and said, well, Denny, what did you talk about? He said, man, I told you, Chase and I spoke privately. Um, I think that this goes back to the driver's code of conduct. I think Chase and Denny both know that Chase clearly crossed the line of, of driver, the, the code of conduct that drivers understand better than we do because we've never driven a race car, and they have. The data shows, you know, that Chase probably got real frustrated about Hamlin running him up into the wall. Well, well I, I go back to the point. I digress, but I go back to the point of, I mean, I, I was not born on third base, but, but I wasn't born in the going deck circle. My father worked real hard, uh, built a business, gave me a leg up, an opportunity to be even more successful. So when I say I worked hard and I built this and I want to leave it on whom I decided, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't screw something up. Uh, there you go. There's a better way of saying it. I worked hard enough to not screw it up and, and make a mess of it. But, um, but, but I, you know, the, the, the joker, but, but it's it. No, but, but listen to me, Ray, because this is the funny part. There were about three or four souls in my world that reached out to me and said, how do you do that? What, what do you mean? I, I've never oh, thought of that. Okay. I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, they're, they're younger guys. They're not 80. You know, they, they would be my age or younger. And they were, I, I've never thought of that. I said, how do you not think of that? Well, I'm not as smart as you. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm just not as smart as uh, you are. I'm Obviously, sure Ken. Said, yeah. I mean, you, you're one of those rare human beings <laughs> that, you know, grasp things that mere mortals um, such as myself don't uh, grasp. <laughs> <laughs> a high degree of sarcasm yeah, yeah, I get and 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 self um that's funny <laughs> self what, what am i trying to say uh, self uh self-deprecating yeah. uh humor here um 843-661-0937 don't want to waste much time uh this is an important day 
that there are some days that are more important than other days. There are there are days that I realize how fortunate I am to have um, an opportunity to express my opinion in a therapeutic, cathartic, and selfish way. There are other days that I have that same opportunity with another opportunity, and that opportunity is to allow you to express your opinion on what we've seen, done, heard, believed to be true, know to be true, um, suspect may or may not be true. As much as I want to separate myself, and want is one word, W-A-N-N-A, as much as I want to separate myself from Trump and move on, they're making it impossible. Hmm. Explain. I mean, I'm an America firster to the bone, to the core. It's in my DNA. Um, I was speaking with one of our owners yesterday about another issue, and we, we began talking about you know the North and the South, and he you know he um he kind of he, he jokes around with this bit I do about the Northern invasion, <laughs> you know, and how many Northerners have uh and, and Midwesterners have um resided or pitched tent along the coast of South Carolina, <laughs> and he says doesn't sound like a bad idea as far as I'm concerned. Oh. But, but anyway, um we were talking about Trump. And, you know, our, our belief in a sustainable political movement that does not involve Donald Trump, he believes, as I do, it is a, it is a, it, a more marketable brand if you don't have such a polarizing figure. I mean, you know, when you think of an NBA or, a, or an NFL or an MLB team, hardly ever, it's risky strategy to market the most controversial person, Right. I mean, there's a reason that you got to be careful with those kind of people. Um, I mean, they cut both ways. Mm -hmm. And Trump is a very controversial, I mean, a consequential, no doubt, but but a very controversial political figure. And and I've always said that I'm 100% America first. I'm a certain percentage less than that Donald Trump. My loyalty and adherence is not to the man, but rather the movement. I give him unbelievable credit when it comes to what he's been able to do, what he's been able to endure. Now, some self-inflicted, join the club. Most of our mistakes are whose fault? Look in that mirror. And there's normally um, the answer. But but the majority of us are, are struggling with that. Rev asked me this morning, or I may have volunteered, you know, I'm trying to make heads or tails of this. And uh, what is this? Well, well, this is a complicated... Uh, it's not a political dilemma. I mean, it's an it's a, it's a important moment in American history. The, the, the problem I have with Trump is I don't know that he understands what's at stake. But it's much more than his reputation. It's much more than his legacy. I mean, th- this is one of the pivotal moments in American history where we decide whether we are genuinely, sincerely interested in radical reform or not. We, we've run around for many years with a cup of coffee or a, or a Diet Pepsi or a cold beer in our hand talking about the insiders and the establishment and the powerful people and their control over the powerless people. But we failed to act upon that until 16 when Trump announced his candidacy. And we not only did we walk to the edge of the abyss, we jumped. We jumped. Surprised a lot of people. I mean, the majority of polling had Hillary Clinton. Well, I mean, I said it then and I'll say it now. That was the beginning of the journey. But that was not a culmination. Many of you believed that that was the culmination. That was the moment America changed. 
Donald Trump rode down an escalator, said some of the most outrageous things imaginable, began a campaign that included even more outrageous things uh, that normally neuter campaigns, that, that just stall campaigns in their tracks, that end campaigns, that end political careers. But, but a lot of us believed that when we woke up the morning of uh, the, the Wednesday in November 2016, that we had arrived. That was the culmination. That, that was getting off the bus at Grand Central Station. And, you know, here we are. I mean, we're in the game now. No, that was the beginning. And I wish we'd archive shows back then because I'd go back and, I mean, I remember, guys, this is the beginning. I mean, this is nowhere near the culmination. I mean, this is the beginning. Steve Bannon famously said, if you believe those people are going to give you your country back without a fight, you've got another thing coming. And that's what we've endured since 16. I'm not defending everything Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump broke the law. I mean, it's hard for when I hear people say, Trump didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, he did. Trump has done a lot wrong. He, I mean, it, that's the way he rolls. He's not going to answer to authority. He's not going to do exactly what um, the rules and, and ordinances and statutes say you must do. That's not my criticism. My, my concern is not whether or not Trump is an honest broker. I think at times he is, at times he's not. He's a very imperfect vessel. But, but he is someone who has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a double standard, that there's a two-tiered justice system. And it doesn't matter what you think about Jeffersonians or Hamiltonians. It doesn't matter what you think about conservatism or liberalism. It doesn't matter what you think about Trump, Biden, Bush, Clinton, um, Dole. Uh, you know, none of that matters at this moment. It's all about whether or not our government is politically motivated in applying justice. Because if it's not, we're, we're, we're not who we think we are. I mean, we'll have brush fires and we'll have hissy fits and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll elect someone like Trump every now and then. Uh, Bolt's here. If, if Bolt were here, he'd talk about the events that led to the electing of Andrew Jackson. Very much an outsider. Very much a populist. Very much someone who sold Americans on this idea that there are insiders who operate under one set of rules and laws, and there are, you know, the rest of us who live under different sorts of circumstances. Look, self-governance requires confidence. The American people have to have confidence that its government treats them fairly, that its, its government is not motivated by, by political opportunism. It's not about, hey, here's this outsider who thinks he has a right to introduce others to the levers of power, we must stop him. But I mean, that's unconscionable, and I don't understand. I mean, I read comment after comment, and, and I like to read the comments on the subscribers to National Review, the subscribers to, uh, to, to the Wall Street Journal, because to me, those people have made, you know, a $15 a month commitment to be better informed. But I mean, they're not on TV land watching every episode of Seinfeld. They're, they're watching Seinfeld, but they don't watch the marathon. They'll say, that's enough of Seinfeld. I need to figure out what's going on in the world. And it's pretty obvious to me that what's happening in America today is you know, there are people in power. And, and, and Jay Jordan and Mike Rickenbaugh and Philip Lowe and I have talked about this. The most important thing, we're talking about judicial reform and magistrates not doing their job and judges being more liberal than South Carolina um, deserves. The application of justice I mean, someone with the ability to indict 
combined with political motivation is the most dangerous thing a a free society can deal with. And that's where we are. And I'm not here to defend everything Trump did. I mean, I think Trump broke the law. But Hillary Clinton broke the law. Hunter Biden broke the law. Barack Obama broke the law. Joe Biden broke the law. And Donald Trump thus far is the only person indicted. And it's very skillful in the way Jack Smith. I mean, I went back and read, obviously we don't have, you know, the indicting documents. Andy McCarthy confused me this morning. I mean, Andy sometimes gets out there in in, in, in legal la-la land, and I can't keep up with that because I'm a mere, um, you know, I'm a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. <laughs> we're, we're, we're limited <laughs> well, in our you're, ability to You're just a financial discern. and estate plan. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm more in um, helping you protect your wealth right. from old Bo. <laughs> Joker. Yeah. Well, I mean, there you go. There's another. There, there's another. Uh, that would be a synonym for Oboe. Right. You know, Joker equals Oboe. Um, th- that's normally where I spend my 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 you know my time is protecting good decent moral men from um Oboe and Jokers who show up after you're dead and gone, trying to dabble in you know your uh, creation of prosperity. <laughs> that's kind of oh what, I, what, what I'm normally motivated by. So let's do this. Let's let's um. Let's let's take a break. I'm going to come back after the break, Josh, and, and delve into this. Um, I mean, there, there's a big article in the Wall Street Journal. There's another National Review. Uh, there's a thousand articles in a thousand places. The New York Times and Washington Post, believe it or not, have leaks. Um, they did, they didn't have leaks when it, uh, when his intent is to hurt Donald Trump. CNN had a source report X, Y, or Z. But but I wrote down three words this morning, and I think you're going to hear hear these words a lot. Um, two are associated one with another. Um, willingly, remember that word, and the other two are grossly negligent. I mean, it seems to me that Jack Smith, working for Merrick Garland, and Garland can call this off. I mean, you know, Smith can't indict without Garland's blessing. And Merrick Garland is a politically motivated attorney general. I, I want to say this, guys. Let, let's Let's start here. Trump broke the law. That's pretty obvious to me. Trump had um, confidential documents in his possession that he shouldn't have had. And when asked, did you give them all back? He said, yes. And he hadn't. That's a violation of the law. Hillary Clinton had a server in her basement. Hillary Clinton broke cell phones with hammers. She hired a company to wipe clean. I mean, we know what she was doing. She, She was circumventing the process she was transacting in a world where the foi didn't apply a former secretary of state was handling classified information in a way that the government was not privileged to a freedom of information and that that's so so i mean trump broke the law that's not the debate stop trying to debate that except the fact that your guy broke the law I don't think it's anywhere near as egregious as what Clinton did. I don't think it's anywhere near as egregious as what I think we'll eventually find out Joe Biden did. And the, the question I'd pose to every candidate with an R beside their name this morning, if you're the nominee, will you pardon Donald Trump? 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. Theory that these scientists came up with after studying tribes in India and Africa South America. The smaller tribes didn't have any government, didn't need any. They could sit down and talk out their problems, decide where to plant crops to hunt, 
there was just a big family, really. But when the number of people got up around 500, if there wasn't any government, the strongest people would take advantage of the weakest. Every time, without fail, they would enslave, rape, steal, enrich their lives at the expense of other people's lives. Government's men's way of trying to control our behavior, but it can't be controlled. That's what we are. Sooner or later, the kind of people that would enrich themselves at your expense will use the government to do it. And mark my words, one day they'll create laws to control what we say, how we think. They'll outlaw our right to disagree if we let them. That's kind of a prophetic as far as I'm concerned. There's yeah. a prequel to Yellowstone, I think it's 1923, if I'm not mistaken. Harrison Ford is the guy delivering that message. Very prophetic. I'd heard that um, a while back, and it just dawned on me yesterday or late yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, I guess. I, I really started YouTube to see if I could find that. And I thought it was very appropriate. Um, you know, small groups of people can, can kind of govern police themselves. It gets larger and larger. And the, the strong try to take advantage of the weak. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. Uh, poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied until he rules, rules everything. everything. And, um, and Harrison Ford is basically saying it's the character in. And um, I mean, the, the, the title of that is when Hollywood accidentally tells the truth. And, <laughs> and, and he says, you know, um, eventually the, those with that DNA will use government to enrich themselves. And, and how do you enrich themselves? You, you assume power, control, and authority. And, and what we're dealing with in America today is a group of people who have not only financially enriched themselves, but have shifted the ballots power, the ballots of power to this. I mean, I refer to it as a cartel of careerists. I mean, it's dangerous. I mean, as dangerous as you may believe Trump is, politically motivated people with the ability to indict and prosecute is a thousand, hundred, million, trillion times more dangerous than anything Donald Trump could ever bring about to American politics. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. But you know, Tim, what Harrison Ford was talking about there, he was talking about us doing it to them. You know, they, you know, you know what I'm saying? Every, every, all these movies that talked about this corrupt government that was daggone oppressing the people, they were talking about us. They weren't talking about them. They're too wonderful for that. You see what I'm saying? And they're sitting right there watching watching their people are the ones that are doing this. By that, I mean you're, you're leftist, fascist, Democrats. But if, you know, as you say, uh, we're not what we thought. Well, I don't know if we've ever been what we thought we were. And, I, and I'll tell you this, there's, like you were saying earlier, you could have kept going with the presidents. I bet you there's not a president out there, and we do everything that they've done that wasn't indictment worthy. Okay. And I'll tell you another thing. I've been, have you ever been in a situation where somebody kind of got in trouble because he was fighting on your behalf? Well, my question is, is Trump in trouble because he was fighting on our behalf, or is Trump in trouble because he was fighting on his behalf? And my next question is, how does he turn that into a positive on the campaign trail? And I'll uh, I will do a set of curls while you do that, while you talk about that. <laughs> Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. That's kind of an interesting mindset. Uh, were we ever? Have we ever been who we perceived ourselves to be? 
I mean, government by its nature requires, I mean, it was Madison or Adams. I mean, you know, what, what we build here is a system, but the system only works if men are honorable and decent and ethical and moral. Um, you know, I've never had this, ah, the perspective that American government is pristine. I mean, I've never bought into that. I've always believed. Now, now my awareness would date back to probably Vietnam. I mean, that would be my generation. I mean, I would be a boomer. Boomer would be, you know, Watergate and, and Vietnam would be kind of the introduction of questioning whether your government shoot you straight or not. I mean, I've never believed that the government shoots us straight. I just never believe I knew what they were motivated by. I had a conversation yesterday with a good friend of mine who's in the beer business. And, I mean, you know, the struggle there. I mean, he's a friend of mine. Friendship to me and loyalty to friendship is more than, uh, you know, what the commercial sector is having to address and deal with. And he's well aware of what's happening there. But our conversation, I mean, in, in America today, it seems that we all, we, we want a boogeyman. And, and I think the political left and I think the establishment and elites have decided that Trump's the boogeyman. I mean, Trump's the guy that we can blame for everything. And, and I think Trump is, I mean, in my personal opinion, I don't, I mean, this is, you know, subjective. I mean, you could disagree, obviously, and have a, you know, form a different opinion. I think people perceive Trump as a movement leader. He's a political disruptor, and he's a movement leader. I don't think anybody's that freaked out by his agenda. I mean, ideologically, Trump's not some, uh, so, some I mean, he's not Mark Sanford. He's not Rand Paul. He's not driven by a... Uh, an ideological sense or sensibility, but that's not Donald Trump. I think Trump's malleable. He's a business guy. W what do you do today, Trump? I mean, whatever I have to. What do you do tomorrow? What, whatever I have to. I mean, it, would, would anybody out there, the, the most ardent supporter of Donald Trump, or, or, or excuse me, the most ardent supporter of Donald Trump, would anybody out there, that's Rev during the break, would you be surprised if the DOJ asked Trump or the Trump team, hey, are you sure you've given us all those documents back? And Trump said yes when he hadn't. I mean, in all honesty, would anybody be surprised at that? Me. Of course not. I mean, nobody would be surprised. In fact, I would expect Trump to try and mislead. I mean, he's kind of an anti-authority. I mean, he, he's a guy that doesn't like authority. <laughs> or he might have thought, no, I just I declassified those before we left. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, whatever. I mean, nobody would be surprised. You, you can wear the cap. You can go to the rally. You can worship at the feet of Donald Trump. That's not me. I mean, I will worship with you at the altar of America first. I believe that our government is corrupt at its core. And I believe the only way to change the corruptness within our government is to radically reform. It's almost like I'm saying, um, as my father used to say, I don't mind the fix as long as I'm in on it. <laughs> the fix that I don't like are the ones that I'm left out on. That's the one you'll hear me complain most about. Well, a, a lot of American, a lot of the American working class believe that the fix was in and they were the victim of the fix. The, um, I mean, you know, the, the, the owner of the station that I was speaking to yesterday, I mean, this guy's from Boston. And, and I'm, from, I'm from, and we have a common belief. And the common belief is that those people didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to react. I mean, I'm talking about the American working class, the manufacturing uh, base in the Midwest, um, the, the, the agrarian economy in, in, in some of the Midwest and southern parts of the country. Those who felt that, you know, I, I'm living and let live, and I'm not that bothered or called up in in government. And the next thing you know, government carves a little bit of your liberties away and a little bit more of your freedoms away, and they get a little bit more of an authoritative influence on your life. 
And sooner or later, people wake up and Trump comes along and says, you know, the game is rigged and drained the swamp. But that's not an ideology. That's political disruption 101. There's nothing ideological about that. But when Trump say a drain the swamp, the game is rigged, how do I know? Because I'm one of the swamp creatures formerly, and I helped rig the game. But that was the credibility that Trump had. Well, when he said that, it alarmed some people because those people were the swamp. They had rigged the game. And, and I go back to the conversation yesterday with my friend of the beer business. He's convinced now that, that a lot of his problems or BlackRock and Vanguard. But he kind of went on a little journey. He thought he understood the way the world worked. Until sales are down 40%, and his world is in upheaval, and he didn't do anything. I mean, he's, he's selling the same brand of beer that he's always sold. The next thing you know, the consumer doesn't want as much of his beer. So he's obviously trying, well, what did I do? I mean, what did I do to deserve my number one brand being all 40%? So he starts doing what any business-minded person would do. Where's the problem here? And he's convinced himself, as I have tried to convince you, that these decisions are made in Davos. And if someone other than the Davos man or woman believes that they are going to be in the room when those levers are pulled, when those chess pieces are set, you've got another thing coming. What will we do? I think that's what we're concerned about. That's what we may be um, surprised by. You mean they would indict a former president who's done very similar things to all other presidents? I mean, is that really what Donald, let's say the worst thing Trump did. I mean, he's going to be charged with the Espionage Act. And the reason he's going to be charged with the Espionage Act, there's some language in there about willfulness. Donald Trump willingly lied to investigators. Um, Joe Biden had confidential information for years and years and years and years. Hillary Clinton had a private server in her private residence, but it was inadvertent, grossly negligent. Remember those words from uh, Jim Comey? Clinton was grossly negligent. That's going to be, I mean, that's the parsing of words. Trust me, I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a radio show host. But but, but I, I try to understand these things at the grassroots level, and those three words are what I wrote down this morning, willfully and grossly negligent. Clinton broke the law, but she didn't willingly break the law. It was inadvertent. She didn't mean to. She didn't know any better. I mean, she didn't know you couldn't take hammers and break up cell phones <laughs> and have private servers, you know, Certainly. transacting in confidential. Yeah, I mean, it was inadvertent. Yeah. Um, grossly negligent. Uh, well, I mean, you may buy that. I don't for a second. And then Joe Biden. You know, Biden's, I, it would not surprise, I think Biden's this corrupt. And a lot of this is to get our eyes off Biden and on Trump. Um, but the Biden story is gaining a little momentum, despite the mainstream media not covering it. More Americans are becoming aware of. I've had people that walk up to me at the gym. Hey, you keep up with this stuff. Tell me about this Biden story, about this money laundering, or you know, and um, and then pay for play and, and and peddling influence. And and I try to explain it, but it would not surprise me at all if the documents that were misplaced in the garage with the Corvette are not the documents related to Burisma in Ukraine. But I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Now, that's a bombshell. I mean, that, that's something above and beyond what any president has ever done. The only thing Trump has done, as far as I'm concerned, and he still, I mean, guys, for the first time in American history, the federal government, under the authority of a current president, remember the food chain, president on top, AG over DOJ, 
FBI director, answers to DOJ. But I mean, this is the way the food chain works. Now, Biden says he's an honest man and he's no, he knows nothing about it. I'll read the quote here in a second that was attributed to him. But for the first time in American history, I mean, the brag was a state indictment. I mean, that, that's not a federal crime. I mean, that's, that's you know, paying hush entering into a confidentiality agreement uh, with, with a uh, adult film star to keep her mouth shut so as to not harm your your political campaign and then mischaracterizing, I guess, or misstating where that expense um, should have been earmarked for. This is fundamentally different. Never before in American history has a talk radio show host sat behind a microphone where the current president has allowed the indictment of a former president. Now, now the oddity, this makes it even more bizarre. Not only is Trump a former president, he's the current front runner and the biggest threat to the guy who has the job today. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Bert in Florence. Good morning. I don't know if I missed something really severe or what, but it was my understanding that they asked him about the documents, that he said he had the documents and they were in a secure place. And they asked him to put an extra lock because they come and looked at it and they wanted it more secure than it was. So he put an extra lock and all this time he was under negotiations because he felt he had a right to have the documents and they wanted them back. So they were under negotiation. Trump will argue, Bert, and I don't have the language in front of me, but there's some designation given to a private residence if it meets the criteria. Uh, you know, the um, the safetiness, the, the well-being of the documents. So that, that is, is there, There's some acronym. Imagine that, the government with an acronym. But it's basically the designation of we've approved this to be a safe house for keeping classified documents while we're negotiating what the president can keep and what he can't keep. I think the biggest thing Trump's done wrong is tell the investigators, I gave you everything knowing he hadn't. Now, once again, for the first time in American history, a former president is under indictment by the federal government. Is that really the can of worms we want to open and the journey uh, we want to go down? Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. And, and the point Bert's making, and, and once again, we're, we're on the fly here. I mean, this is breaking news. Nobody has an, uh, you know, an indicting document. Nobody's seen that. New York Times, Washington Post, uh, they probably have because um, <laughs> it's Trump. <laughs> you know. Yeah, because it's Trump here. Yep. Um, but, but it seems to me that the Trump legal argument will be we were in negotiations. The, um, the Department of Archives had agreed to allow me to keep some of these documents because we had designated it a certain, I mean, there's a certain designation that, that a private residence or private property can have. I think the University of Delaware, the Biden Center at the University of Delaware, if I'm not mistaken, um, that had a designation. I mean, it's not government property. It's not, you know, um, it's not the Department of Archives. It's not wh where we typically keep, keep classified documents, but it had been approved. It had been put on the good list of places that were allowed to um to safe to safe house um some of these documentation. So let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Rue Jean, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Happy Friday. I I, I hate to wake up, you know, to this kind of news, but but uh here, here's here's what I'm looking at, Ken. Um um you know there's definitely a two tiered system of justice in America. And the more the more they uh show that there is a two-tiered system of government in America, the more it's going to start, well, it's already pissed people off, but there's more people are going to get to the point where they're going to say enough is enough. 
And I actually fear that um, that little thing that you were talking about not long ago where there's going to be an uprising and people are saying, uh-uh, we don't want to do this anymore. We're tired of it. We're going to, not only going to kick the bastards out, we're going to put them someplace where they need to be by themselves. Um, I, I'm looking at this, and this is nothing but a piling on of individuals that are seeking power and want to keep power, want to keep American people up under their thumb, and they can pretty much see the writing on the wall, so they're going to do everything by hook or crook to ensure that their their position or their swamp stays full of water, full of alligators, mosquitoes, snakes, and whatever whatever else creeps up in the swamp. Um, I personally am getting very, 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 very damn tired of it. Um, and it's it's like I said it before, when Middle America, and I think Middle America is starting to get get to that point because when you see Christians and Arabs and Jews standing up in a city like Detroit, Michigan, and fighting against this whole uh, this whole uh, thing about uh, DEI and 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 LGBTQ uh, teaching in schools. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you, you got something going on there. You got something going on there. We, we're not going to put up with it anymore. We're not going to do it. I mean, that's how I feel. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few. The famous words of John Cougar Mellencamp: "There's a lot of things I know and a lot of things I don't know, particularly when it comes to this indicting document." The New York Times and Washington Post have sources that have reported to them that, well, let's establish this. I mean, here's the most important sentence I will say all morning. Now, I'll say a lot of other really important things, but this may be the most important thing of all the important things that I say, not just today, but on a a daily basis. (laughs) For the first time in history, the federal government has brought charges against a former American president. Bragg's were... Uh, the district DA, the state of New York, um, you know, they call it hush money. We call it confidential, uh, you know, a confidentiality agreement. Um, but that that's not a federal government charge. I mean, it, it will have the force of the federal government at some point in time. But, but, but a grand jury convened in Washington and Miami and decided that they wouldn't indict a ham sandwich, but rather Donald Trump. Um, the old saying, you can indict a ham sandwich. It's the most, I don't know why we live in a nation that celebrates freedoms and liberties, but has a grand jury system. I mean, it, it's it's just it's um show me the man, I'll show you the crime um kind of mindset. But but for the first time in American history, a a a former president is under indictment and has had charges brought against him by the federal government that he once was in control of. Now that's odd. I mean, that's exclusive. That's never happened before. Add to that the fact that Donald Trump is the primary opponent, and I mean primary, um, I'm talking about not primary in the sense of a presidential primary in the Democrat and Republican Party, but rather um, the, the, the chief adversary, the chief rival to the current president as we speak may change, may not, but, but it's Donald Trump um, today. That, that's, that makes this even more um, odd. It's a little bit, it reminds me of some of the communist nations you know, in, instead of trying to beat this guy at the ballot box, let's put him in jail. I mean, it's kind of what the Kremlin does. Right. I mean, it, it, Stalin and, and some of the other dictators and, and communists and, and, you know, socialist leaders, 
that's I mean, it's just so reminiscent of that. I just never imagined that I live in a nation where the current front runner in opposition to the current president would be charged with a with a crime. And the crime is, you know, the Espionage Act. Now now here's where let, let's get a little specific here. The New York Times and Washington Post, we don't know. I mean, we were speculating here. A lot of what we're doing with Biden, we don't know. And and I'm, I'm thinking about it during the last break. It's 7.09. We've not talked about Hunter Biden yet. We've not talked about Joe Biden yet. We've not talked about Ukraine or Burisma or $5 billion, some of that wire to grandkids, you know, um, LLCs and offshore accounts. Right. I mean, it's just so, you know, this is the shiny object yeah. in the room <clears throat> the, right the FBI now. document. The... Well, I mean, there's an indictment of a former president. Right. I mean, that's that's never happened before. So maybe it's having the intended effect. I mean, sure it is. I mean, of course it is. I mean, but, but think of this. Think of, I mean, if you're sitting in my shoes and you're hosting a political radio show and something happened to the world of politics that has never happened before, how do you not make that the lead story? It's got to be. I mean, I'm, I'm derelict in my responsibilities if I don't make that the lead story. I mean, that there are other stories that matter, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't get Biden off the hook. And, and I still believe, and I hate to say this, you ready? The walls are closing in on Joe Biden. The walls are closing in. How many times did we hear that with Trump? You know, the walls are closing in. <laughs> About every month. I mean, it was a CNN moniker, the most trusted name in news, and the walls are closing in. Um, the news saying at CNN is, you are not watching CNN. <laughs> <laughs> You are watching CNN. And it was now, exactly. it's, you are not watching um, CNN. But but the New York Times and Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal to some degree are reporting that a person familiar with the matter says that Trump will be charged with misuse of classified information, obstruction of justice, making false statements, and violations of the Espionage Act. There will be seven charges brought against um, the former president. And once again... The indictment is an extraordinary moment in American history. Why is it extraordinary? Because it ain't ever happened before. That's a pretty good reason to call it extraordinary. Um, So Donald Trump is now um, criminally charged by an administration led by what will more than likely be his 2024 um, presidential opposition opponent. That's kind of where it looks like we're headed. Now, I want to go to something Andy McCarthy said this morning. McCarthy wrote this late last night, 1034 last night. McCarthy posted this on um, on the National Review. And, and I've said McCarthy's a pretty good arbiter. I mean, he's been fair-minded about Trump. He's never, in my opinion, got caught up in loving Trump or hating Trump. He's tried to ah, maintain his reputation as objective and unbiased about, hey, this president's done this, this president's done that. But he believes... Now, once again, he has far more legal understanding of this than I do. He doesn't have any more information than I do. McCarthy is quoting the source of the New York Times and Washington Post, and but but he says that um, the most notable thing that he's gathered in his reporting, and once again, his reporting is based on the New York Times and Washington Post having access to a leaker in the DOJ, but he says that the most notable thing he has seen and the reporting is that, once again, he's not seeing the indicting document. So he's speculating to some degree. But he says that charging Trump with the Espionage Act offense um, gives them or is that the prosecutors are relying on a provision 
that criminalizes willful violations of the rules that government officials are required to follow in handling national defense intelligence. I'd already written the word willful. There was some reporting in the New York Times about willful, and I made some notes here, grossly negligent. McCarthy continues, this seems like an obvious effort to distinguish Trump's alleged crime from President Biden's and Hillary Clinton's mishandling of classified documents, which the White House and the media describe as inadvertent. I mean, that those are McCarthy's words, not mine. The result mainly of just, you know, sloppy staff work, um, that there was no intent, that there was no willfulness in breaking the law. That That's what it seems to me that Jack Smith and Andy McCarthy kind of validates my theory that when, when, when asked about, in other words, when a, if, if we eventually have a trial, and I would imagine we will, when we eventually have a trial and Trump argues this double standard, you know, maybe I broke the law, maybe I didn't, but what about selective prosecution? What about you selecting me to be prosecuted and didn't select Hillary Clinton? McCarthy believes that the DOJ will say, well, they didn't willfully break the law. There's no doubt they were grossly negligent. There's no doubt that they that, that they broke the law, but it was inadvertent. I mean, y- your intent was to mislead investigators. You willfully withheld information, and and that's that's threading the needle. But th- you know, I've said that I think that's where they're headed. And McCarthy, which much more credibility than I have in understanding the, the legal ins and outs of this, I mean, he agrees with that. Um, and then you've got making false statements. Okay, I mean, Trump didn't tell the truth to the DOJ when they asked about whether or not. That's the one that I don't have any problem believing. I mean, none at all. Donald, did you turn in all those documents? Yeah. And then they come down, they raid Mar-a-Lago, they find 38 documents or six or seven boxes of confidential information. And then that goes to my point about, you know, I think we're going to get in trouble making this about Trump and not about the double standard. I, 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 just, I just think we're making a fatal, fatal mistake if we make... I mean, Trump's the martyr. I mean, there is no doubt. He is, I mean, he is the symbol of, you know, those in charge desiring by any means necessary to stay in charge. I believe that with every fiber of my body. If Trump were not running for re-election, they probably don't do this. But he's running for re-election. And in the weirdest way imaginable, as much as they say they don't think Trump can win, this proves they do. I mean, if you're convinced Trump can't win, you probably don't do this. But because once again, and here's where Republicans have to understand. I heard a guy on Glenn Beck's show yesterday make an interesting statement. We've got to stop dancing around the edges. We've got to call the modern day Democrat what they are. And I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about the, you know, the the South Carolina senator or the um, the Oklahoma where they gerrymandered a district in Oklahoma. I'm talking about the full-throttled liberal big government Democrat who ascribes to the notions of socialism. We've got to call them what they are. They're communist. I mean, that's going to be hard for us because we've historically said, I mean, they call us racist and misogynist and white supremacist. And we kind of, are, well, I mean, I don't think I'm that. but And we call, ah, good guy, just misguided. No, they're not good people misguided. They're socialist and communist. That's who they are. They operate on government power, influence, and control. And I think we've got to stop. They don't have any problem tearing us apart. 
I mean, they, they don't have any problem calling you a white supremacist or a, a racist or a bigot or, or whatever, misogynist, um, transphobic. I mean, they, they, they'll put it right there in your face. I mean, they'll put a bullseye on your back and bust your ass with it. And we tend to respond by saying, well, they're good people just misguided. I mean, they, they, they intend to do good. They just don't understand the government's big programs and the dangers and the, um, you know, the, the chronic behavior that follows. In other words, uh, the war on poverty led to more poverty um, uh, in the African-American community. Mike Rickenbaugh talked extensively about that last week, the dependency on government. We've historically, when they call us a racist or a white supremacist, so white supremacists, we, we always say, well, I mean, they're, they're good people, just misguided. No, they're not good people. The cartel of careerists are criminals. And their intent is to hold on to government power. And they perceive Trump as a legitimate threat. And what do you do to legitimate threats? You delegitimize by any means necessary. And that's what we've got to come to grips with. That this is not your typical political co- competition. But I mean, they've chosen to do something that has never been done before in American history. Now, now I hope and pray that the questions will be asked of other Republican candidates for president. If elected, will you or will you not uh, pardon Donald Trump? Will you or will you not as aggressively pursue Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton as they have? I mean, it, it's time to put our big boy pants on. And then Hillary Clinton's big girl pants on. Um, <laughs> but but um, no, but, but that, and, and I, I wish there was another answer to this. I wish we were talking about two parties with, with, with just ideological differences. But we're not talking about this moment in American history. That's where we normally have been. I'm the greatest debate in American history centered around political ideology. Hamilton believed one thing. Jefferson believed another. There was sincerity in that. I mean, th- th- there was an honest political debate that centered around should the government be bigger and more influential or should the government be smaller and trust some of these states to make authoritative rules of which the people live by and under. I mean, that, that's a genuine, sincere disagreement. And I respect that. I mean, I've got friends who are big government liberals. I respect them. I hope and pray that they're as bothered by this as I am. I hope that they're as concerned as I am that it's pretty obvious there's a two-tiered system, that, that the, the, the application of justice is not pure and fair, but rather politically advantageous for one side or another. And I don't know any answer to this. It's a little bit like what Drew McKissick, SCGOP chairman, and I were talking about yesterday. Um, Do you try to beat the Democrats at ballot harvesting? Do you try to beat the Democrats? Do you turn the 12-hour voting day into a 30-day voting season? Do you accept that as reality? I mean, I, I believe that there's a lot of beauty in people making an effort to go to the poll to vote for their political leadership. Some commitment. But but we made a decision as a nation, well, let's make it easy. Let's make it real easy. You know, pe- people have things to do, and they may not be able to get there that day. So, you know, a week's not enough, two weeks not enough, uh, three weeks isn't enough, may- maybe a month. Maybe a month, and let's mail them ballots whether they want them or not. And let's, you know, let's carry them a ballot. If they don't want a ballot, let's carry them one anyway. And let's have somebody follow up with them and see if they filled it out or not. If they hadn't, maybe we can help them fill it out. Help fill it out. Yeah, but, that, but and we'll take it in for you. I mean, but 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 we don't like that. We we believe that's an insult to the process. But it is what it is, and it's where we are today. And we're not having a political debate about ideology. The debate is not about big government, small government. 
The debate is about who deserves to control the levers of government. And there's a cartel of careerists who have proven to you they'll do anything that has ever been done before and things that have never been done before. How do we know that? Because for the first time in American history, the current president is presiding over a government that is going to indict a former president who is currently his chief adversary in the 2024 presidential election. Stew on that for just a second. Let's go to the phone. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Hey, good morning, um, Ken. Hey, I don't care about the documents. I care about January 6th. That's why I want to see. I want them to do do the right thing. Nobody above the law. Nobody. And he, he if he did it, if he did the crime, he could do the time. Thank you. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. But I, I totally agree with that. Nobody is above the law. If you do the crime, do the time. Let Let's talk facts for a second. You ready? You want to know some facts, Williams? The fact is about 1,000 people have been charged with criminal offenses for January 6th. That's a fact. In 08 and 09, Wall Streeters burned the economy to the ground. How many people got arrested? Crickets. I don't know who should or who should not have. I don't know what crimes. But how do you burn the largest economy in the world to the ground and nobody be held accountable? In fact, the government, in its infinite wisdom, bailed out. So, so when, when, you, when you talk about doing the crime and doing the time, it really goes back. I mean, Williams is supporting the argument I've uh, tried to make. There's a double standard. There, there's a set of rules for people with political influence, with, 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 with um, the ability to gain, uh, the, the gain the attention or awareness of people in, in power, and there are those who aren't. And Trump is, I mean, once again, he's a manifestation of disgruntlement, frustration, um, you know, the, the world is passed a certain group of people by and they spoke loudly and clearly the, the weirdest consolidation of support in the history of American politics, maybe not the history, but in my lifetime, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know how Trump put that puzzle together. I don't sure he, I'm not sure he didn't know how he put that puzzle together, but when Williams talk and January 6th is coming, I mean, there'll be another indictment. George is coming. There'll be another indictment probably in August when it comes to that. But, but I have no problem. In fact, I 1,000% support what Williams just said. If you do the crime, do the time. If you break the law, there are consequences to breaking the law. I would probably not be on the radio if I had not broken a campaign finance law. I would probably be still in elected office in some way, shape, or form. But, but I made a mistake. I mean, I did something that was not the way things should be done. I paid a big price for that. Donald Trump is being indicted by, by the Department of Justice for the first time in American history. Hillary Clinton is not. We know that Clinton had a private server. We know that Clinton trafficked in confidential material on that private server. We know that Hillary Clinton hired a company to basically wipe her server clean. We know that Hillary Clinton physically destroyed Digital devices, cell phones. I mean, we know that to be true, that there is no denying that. That is a, a documented event, a series of documented events. And Jim Comey said, I don't think she willfully broke the law. The intent was not there. She was grossly negligent, 
but we believe it was inadvertent. How is that not a double standard? How is, I mean, how do the, are, are the American people that naive? Is Seinfeld that damn good that you can't turn it off and engage in the, uh, the, the, the construction and, and running of our country? It's bizarre to me. It's absurd to me. It makes me angry and frustrated and sad and angry and frustrated and sad, but but it motivates me. My, my motivation is not driven by a loyalty to Trump. My motivation is an equal application of justice. A thousand people have been arrested as a result of January 6th. Wall Streeters burnt the economy to the ground. I think one German banker, at Deutsche, was arrested on some sort of um, frauding documents charge. Helicopters in the Hamptons seem to win about every time. Mm-hmm. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Takes Mondays to make F-R-Y-B-A-Y-S. That's Fridays. Russell Fry, Congressman Fry, is with us this morning. Congressman, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ken. Uh, no, I'm great. It's good to be back home, and it's uh, been kind of a, an interesting week in Washington, but it's always good to fly back in uh, to your home district. Yeah, and, and, and so I've, known, I've known the congressman as Russell for a long time, and, and you know, I want to be respectful of the position of being a member, a member of Congress, but it's hard for me to get out of that Russell mindset because <laughs> I've known him for, for a long, long time as, as Russell. I, I want to start here, and we'll get to debt ceilings, and we'll get to the Biden administration but for the first time in American history, a former president is indicted by a current Department of Justice. Wrap your head around that, Congressman Fry. I mean, what, what you know, what what are you thinking about in relation to that this morning? Because Trump was a big part of you becoming a member of the U.S. Congress. Well, it's hard for me to wrap my head around it, Ken. I mean, you look at the, this is this, this isn't done. This isn't done in our country. This is the first time ever. Uh, that a former president leading opposition candidate to the current president is indicted. Now, here's the funny thing, and we were talking about this. I don't care what the intent is. Intent isn't part of the law. It's possession of. And so if you're going to extend that, now go do Joe Biden. Go do Hillary Clinton. Go do Mike Pence. Go do all the litany of other people who had classified documents in their possession. Um, but they're not. They're not doing that. And so when we talk about the weaponization of government or the double standards, this is exactly the kind of crap that the American people are frustrated about. But, Congressman, the American people feel frustrated. They feel helpless. They feel very vulnerable. That they have a, they're a part of a political movement that they genuinely believe in, but at every turn their government is attacking them for being a part of this political movement. What sort of advice do you give to the rank and file America firster who does feel helpless in, uh, in defending this movement against its own federal government? That's what keep in the fight. I mean, this, this thing is not over. It's, uh, and there are a, a litany of things that can continue to be done, but we, you know, we have to, we can't just give up and walk home. I mean, we have to continue this. This isn't the country that we want to hand over to the next generation. We want that same free, prosperous country that is something to be proud of. And, and, and when you look at this, this is, not a, this is not a good step in the right direction. I don't, care, I don't care if you like Trump or not. We don't go after political opponents. But I just look at this as, as kind of a dark day for our country 
um, that we've even come to this point and gone down this road. Uh, so, but we ha- we have to you know keep engaging in that space, engaging in the fight. Um, it's 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 important. The the country is important. So so let's shift gears and go to the story that we're not talking about today that we normally would be talking about today, and that is the oversight committee having access to a ten twenty three document in the FBI's possession that accuses or makes accusations that Joe Biden financially gained as a result of being an American politician. Um, what is the chatter inside the beltway and what does Congressman Fry personally think about, um, about that document and the story surrounding? Well, I, I find it you know, interesting that on the, uh, the day that the document is allowed to be viewed, allowed to be viewed by the way, uh, by the committee, um, that this comes out and, and, you know, Ken, we've talked about this, call me conspiratorial, but some, sometimes these things add up. Uh, it's like Matt Taibbi with Twitter, uh, the, uh, uh, the tax man coming to his door uh, the day that he's testifying in front of Congress on the Twitter files and the collusion between Twitter and the government. So I just don't think that these things happen in the vacuum. But nonetheless, we were finally able to see this FD 1023 document yesterday. Now, this is, this is after weeks of the FBI uh, pretending that it didn't exist. And, and so they finally acknowledged the existence and they wouldn't share it. We threatened contempt and in fact had a contempt uh, motion drawn up. And so we go in there yesterday uh, to see it. It's not classified. Um, they want to keep it, um, you know, it's not classified. It, there's parts of it that are redacted. I think it's a win-one for the Oversight Committee because we're continuing to push to get these documents, right? They, they, they said that there were no bank records, that we, there's bank records. They said there's nothing in the bank records. There was just Papa John's receipts and Starbucks uh, coffees. That is not true. We have seen, um, at this point, I think 20 different shell companies, uh, over $10 million to, uh, from foreign sources to members of the Biden family, uh, so this FD-1023 is part of a long list, in my mind, of, of things that are still out there um, and, and are. Um, it, within the FD-1023, it alleges other FD-1023s that we were unaware of. And so we're going in pursuit of those next, um, trying to continue to, to push to get these things. And, of course, we get ro- run into roadblocks of um, agencies that won't comply, uh, that won't comply with subpoenas. Uh, so, you know, every little bit that we get uh, continues to, to shed light on this in, in not a good way. Congressman, but, 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 but where does, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but where does, the, where does the authority of the Oversight Committee and Congress in general end? I mean, if the FBI, if, if Congress doesn't believe or if Congress is suspicious of whether the FBI is really investigating or not, what, what recourse does Congress have to mandate the FBI do its job or we'll do it for you? I mean, is, is that a fair analysis? I think to some extent. I mean, so the feds will say that they're investigating or it's under investigation. Well, it's been three dang years since this, since this document was created. How long are you going to investigate it? If it's an in, in active criminal investigation, we really haven't seen anything. Um, I think it, it may, you know, it sounds like the former Attorney General William Barr sent this document uh, off to uh, the Delaware U.S. Attorney, uh, and my suspicion is that it just kind of sat there. Uh, the Delaware U.S. Attorney was doing the uh, 
the gun charges for for Hunter Biden and a couple other uh, a couple other ones. But my suspicion is it just sat there until we started raising a stink about this because this confidential informant came forward. But here's kind of what the the underlying theme of this document: you have a reputable confidential human source. He's been working with the FBI for years, uh, even before this. He is engaged in a series of conversations in um, the Ukraine with somebody who was part of this entire deal. And so he comes back and he reports on this. Uh, And it contains information going back to 2015 when Joe Biden was vice president. And it was firsthand conversations with a foreign national who claimed to have bribed the president, the then vice president. Um, the FD-1023 memorializes that conversation that happened, or conversations that happened. Um, and it's a, it, it, it's a similar pattern in reviewing this and what we've seen, um, you know, where this foreign national was going, you know, to funnel bribery money through shell companies to hide the source of that money. We've seen that um, with the Chinese companies. Um, that we've we've done with the bank records. We've seen that uh, in other spaces. And so this is kind of a, a long list of what did you, what kind of business did you have? Ken, your your listeners, if they own a business, it's probably, they they can probably point to it on a map. They can probably point to things that they produce, um, locations that they have, the widgets that they create for the marketplace. And no one's going to fault anyone for having a legitimate business, but the only legitimate or the only business that the Biden seemed to have was influence peddling. I don't think that that's legitimate. Um, and if you're bribed by foreign government or foreign officials, it's kind of a problem. Speaking of legitimate business, I want to go down this road with you. And now I'll let you get out. Congressman Russell Fry is with us this morning, as he is every other um, Friday morning. You are a member of the Congressional Steel Caucus. And the Congressional Steel Caucus are members, I think it's bipartisan if I'm not mistaken, but it's members who have um, interest of steel manufacturing in America. There was a story that broke maybe this week or last week about the um, the complications of the Georgetown property and the steel mill, once a thriving and prosperous industry. Uh, the American steel industry is running on some hard times. That has been um, collateral damage as a result of, but it's always been kind of an interesting part of concern in whomever is in the seat you hold today. Um, what, 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 what can you tell us about being a member of the steel caucus in relation to the Georgetown steel mill? Yeah, well, I think it's important. You know, we have steel, we have new core, we have three, uh, new core facilities in the PD. Um, they employ hundreds of South Carolinians, you know, you've got the Georgetown steel, uh, American Steel is, is is under attack in a lot of ways. One, they're under attack from their own federal government, um, which we've seen that in, in a whole host of businesses, quite frankly, where government bureaucrats go and make it you know nearly impossible for you to do your job. Uh, so that's always a concern that they've got. But then we've got the bad actors on the world stage that, that artificially lower the price of their steel. Now, all steel is not created in a vacuum, right? So you have steel with less stringent quality standards in other countries that's produced, you know, American steel is some of the cleanest in the world. If you want to do business and you want to have, if you're a, a greenie, if you will, if, you, if you're an environmentally conscious person, American steel is the best. That's what it does. It does it better than anybody else. Uh, but China and others will, will dump steel on the market and they'll kind of filter it through 
other countries to get around some of our tariffs. So, so these are some of the concerns if you produce steel in this country. These are some of the concerns that they have, including Georgetown. And Georgetown's had a, a lot of macro issues, Cam, like you alluded to. It's also had a lot of micro ones. Um, they, they've had some, some local government challenges many, many years ago um, and, and continue to kind of have that um, perception within the community. So I'm glad that they are under new um, you know, management, so to speak, and I, and I wish them the best um, because they do employ people. And, and I think about those people, the families that they feed, you know, so we want them to succeed. We want them to do well. Um, you know, and hopefully this is a, a turning of a page, a new chapter uh, for Georgetown Steel and uh, for the employees that they have. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that American Steel just in general, uh, it's incredibly complicated. It's uh, difficult to do. And you're under the gun. Um, you do well. We do it well. People are proud of it. They employ thousands of, I think, you know, 75,000 people across the country um, in some of these sectors. Uh, that do American steel, but right now uh, they're under attack uh, sometimes from our own government, um, but a lot of foreign governments as well. Well explained. Congressman, thank you for your time. Appreciate the work you do, and uh, consider yourself a uh, a welcomed visitor here uh, whenever you choose. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Congressman Russell Fry, um, I want to get back to steel in just a second because it is kind of an interesting, I mean, I've read some things. I mean, obviously Nucor is an iconic American steel manufacturer, very, very fortunate to have a company as sophisticated and competent as a new core. Georgetown's a different animal. I mean, there's a lot of you ready. There's a lot of things kicking about that property, that business. Um, I'm one that believes that you can judge an economy. I mean, I know GDP growth and the economists who measure GDP growth. I mean, that that's a metric. I mean, I get that. But but if I were um, if I were looking at some of the leading economic indicators, one of the basket of economic indicators I look is the the metric tons of steel sold, you know, the purchasing of steel. How many tons of steel are we moving up and down the highways and byways in America on, on a given week? I, th- I think steel really is probably, and I'm talking about the the, the manufacturing and and and, and produ- producing and and buying of steel. To me, would be one of the great 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 evaluators of how the economy's doing and where it looks like the economy. Uh, may be headed. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jason and Marion. Hey, good. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Dave. Uh, happy Friday. Uh, Ken brings all these calls and talks about that he doesn't believe in coincidences when it comes to government. Well, I got one that might make him and you guys scratch your head. We've all seen and heard the video of Biden, you know, talking on stage uh, about the Ukrainian prosecutor getting him fired and um, not getting the money, and, well, son of a bee, they fired him. Um, but if you play that clip a little bit longer, um, he references someone that's on the stage with him, and his name is Mike, and he said he wants to thank Mike because this was his wheelhouse. Well, that Mike is Michael Carpenter. Now, that name might not mean anything to anybody, and I'd say you'd be right, but when all those classified documents that were taken from the Penn Biden Center. Um, the person that was head of that Penn Biden Center was a person named Michael Carpenter. Now, it's just a coincidence that the same man that was on stage with Biden is the same name that's the head of the Penn Biden Center. Um, now, here's the conspiracy about that. 
when they raided that um, Penn Biden Center and they found all these documents, maybe what if that CHS that told the FBI that Biden was on a, uh, took a bribe, told, told the FBI that there was documents at that Penn Biden Center, and when they found those said documents, that's why they had to go raid Mar-a-Lago to take the spotlight off of Biden. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. I mean, that, that's really the cartel of careerists that we talk a lot about. Remember the name Jake Sullivan? Remember when we were digging at Hillary's world and, and, and Jake Sullivan came up? And I mean, he's now National Security Advisor under the Biden administration. And I, I just read, so I don't know why I do this. I actually read where Jake Sullivan got married. And during his wedding, Hillary Clinton read poetry. And the next thing you know, he's head of national security or chief national security advisor of the Biden administration. I mean, there's a cartel of careerists. They're insiders. They don't believe the same rules apply to them that apply to everyone else. That there's a condition of immunity that they believe is their birthright. They believe they're entitled to operate under a different set of legal ramifications than the majority of Americans. Biden's one of those. I mean, the Biden family, they don't believe that they answer to the same laws, rules, and regulations that we, the people, do. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a sense of entitlement. They believe they hit triples. Hmm. What, hey, what happened to, you know, by the people, for the people? That's very naive of you oh. to believe that that's what we're governed, How naive. That's what we're governed <laughs> by. Take a break. Back in in just a few. Four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Love to hear from you. I think I've explained or expressed about what I feel as much as I can. Well, I, Josh, did, I did have a question. Okay, sure. Uh, didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, you're fine. But since you talked about you know how we feel and expressing yourself, how do I want to feel. I want to. How do you feel? I'm mad. Explain. I'm mad. I mean, how as, do you feel? As you know what? Okay. Well, let me continue, sir. Well, the the double standard. You know they're indicting Trump for. Obviously, purely political you reasons, think Trump in my opinion. Broke the law. Well, would it surprise you if Trump broke yeah, the law? Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't know the intricacies of the law okay. and how that applies, so I can't say. I mean, he probably did what you said, which is, but see, I, I also. Have you given all the stuff back? Yes. And he hadn't. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I, I'll accept right. that. I mean, now, I, now, now, I believe there's probably the, you know, the, the, the nuance in the middle is I, I believed I didn't, you know, I, I declassified this or it wasn't a problem. These documents, they're saying I did. I'm saying I didn't, you know. Or to Bert's point, we had designated a certain place in Mar-a-Lago right. as a safe house. Some of, there's some official designation if it meets the criteria. Remember they went down at one time and said, you got to put another lock on this door. Right. And they, you know, they put another lock <laughs> on that door. But, See, but that would imply there's some sort of agreement. We know there's some documents in question, and while we're waiting to determine... Okay, let, let me ask you in, in a more friendly way to Trump. Mm -hmm. Would it surprise you if Trump didn't abide by every word of the document? <laughs> that whatever agreement they made, oh, Trump... It it's, it's not a stickler for detail. Right. I mean, I'm not saying what he did or didn't do. I mean, we got a court of law, and we'll... Look, what, what I'm saying, Rev, and I think you... And this goes back to Rujan and... I mean, I'm not the only guy that thinks this. It's not about ideology. I mean, the majority of political debates in American history have centered around it again with Jeffersonian and Hamiltonian. I mean, it, it began. I mean, one wanted a bigger, more central, more authoritative government. The other did not. And for the first 50 or 60 years in America, 
We had that debate. But yeah, they're debating that, and they're debating that as here's what I believe is best for all of us. Sure. The reason Hamilton wanted a central planner, he felt it would better serve the American people. The reason Jefferson wanted, um, you know, a smaller central planner and more state authority, he thought it was in the best interest of the country they had uh, had a hand in founding. I mean, there's a genuine sincerity there, and it's a serious debate. And you can fall in one camp or another and be absolute as honorable as the other man. But how do you defend the disproportional punishment of politicians who do the very same thing? I mean, let, let for argument's sake, let's assume, and this is my Facebook post, and it's kind of interesting. Rev said he couldn't find my Facebook post. Nope. I if, didn't I know wish my, if I wish my wife a happy birthday on Facebook, I mean, it, everybody finds it. If I get political, nobody finds it. I mean, I'm not saying that content moderators and algorithmic uh, events don't, you know, I'm, I'm not accusing anybody. Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist <laughs> I on everything. I absolutely am accusing them of well, that. Of course you are, because we know better yeah. than that. I mean, the, my feed, which I looked at uh, this morning several times during the show and before the show, and it never showed me that post. I had to go to your and search your name, find it, and go to your page to read what you posted. That doesn't surprise me at all. And and the only reason, I told you in a weird way last night, I'm, I'm in the bed at about 9, 9.30, and I just, I'm, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I, I'm like the majority of us, well, where do you go from here, what do you do, you throw a towel in, I mean, do you give up, they've got the power, I mean, they got the ability to indict, they will, they've proven that. But but I wanted to ask you, okay. from the political standpoint, you know, political analysis and gut on this. And I want to ask you, as a guy who was on Trump's steering committee in 2020, right, who was asked to be on his steering committee for 2024 and has not made that decision yet, as you, you've you said on the show, you are keeping your powder dry to see how the DeSantis thing works out or and whatever. And you understand that, I think. Sure. Yeah, I understand it. Um, but looking through that lens as that guy and seeing Again, another example of how they're treating the double you know, standard of uh, the way they are treating Trump. From a political standpoint, how do you feel? And secondly, what's the outcome? I mean, my, does Trump help? Is, is he helped? Is he hurt by this? My raw, my raw emotion is to call someone on Trump's team and said, put me back on the list. I mean, I, I am as committed as I've ever been. Tell me how I can help. I mean, what can I do to help Donald Trump get elected again? The, the 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 reservation I have is the the belief that you don't make good decisions when you're emotionally invested. It, it's you know I've, I've just always believed that. Um, I've made some decisions based on emotion. They ain't always been real good decisions. I, I like to kind of you know stew on it for a day or two or three. Now the the other question that's me personally. The other question is politically. Uh, I've, I've, I text Robert a second ago, Kahaley. I mean, he, he would be the guy to ask on on these sorts of matters. And Robert has agreed, excuse me, to try to call in. Uh, this Celsius is killing me this morning. <laughs> Robert's agreed to try to call in at about 920 this morning and, and give a kind of an explanation of what he believes cool. the, um you know, the polling says or the polling will say. Now, I don't know that Robert has polling data on, you know, I believe personally that there's a better than 50% chance that Donald Trump could win the Republican primary from a prison sale. <laughs> really? I mean, I don't think there's a 100% chance, but I, I mean, if, if you put Trump in jail and leave him on the ballot in a Republican primary, I think there's a better than 50% chance he wins that primary. There's not many Republican voters who want to vote for a man in prison. 
but they hate the establishment that much. They've grown to distrust the establishment that much. But that's what I want us to focus on. I think we're going to get our sails tied in knots. Do you really think that he's, they're going to perp walk him and you're going to put him in a jumpsuit and take him to jail? I, I don't know. I, mean, I really don't know. I don't know. Here's what I believe their strategy is. Can we damage him enough? See, I mean, you, 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 these people aren't morons. That's the scary thing. People with power, influence, and authority who aren't very smart, I mean, okay, you can deal with them. People who are smart and have authority and competency and, and the, you know, the weight of the federal government at their control or, or their, their avail, I mean, those are dangerous, dangerous people. And here's what I think they're doing. I think they clearly understand what I just said. Half the GOP primary voters would vote for Donald Trump if he was in Alcatraz. They know that, but they believe it diminishes his value in a general. This is not about law and order. This is not about what's legal or not. This is about choosing who's in control. And that's what we've got to understand. We get caught up in this, and I do, it's unfair. I mean, it's unfair, this double standard, this, you know, this two-tier justice system. I mean, Trump did exactly what Clinton did, and she walked. Trump did exactly what Biden did, and he walked. And I'm not even talking about you know, um, what, what the oversight committee may or may not find out in regards to Biden and Burisma and, and Ukraine. I'm talking about having confidential documents in places they shouldn't be. Hillary Clinton, we know, did that. Jim Comey said she did it, but Comey said he didn't believe she willfully or intentionally violated the law. She was grossly negligent. It was inadvertent. I mean, I don't buy that, but, but that gave Comey an out. You know why it gave Comey an out? Because Comey didn't want to indict a presidential candidate. I mean, as, as, as bad a cop as I think Comey is, he had these guardrails. And, and I think Comey said, man, I don't want to be the guy that does this for the first time ever. Merrick Garland's got an axe to grind. And Merrick Garland's, I mean, he's doing the dirty work for Joe Biden. But, but here's what I think, and you're asking about, about the politics. Forget emotion, forget my personal opinion. Um, politically, they... And I'm talking about those in power. Let's refer to them as the cartel of careerists. I mean, that's the way I like to refer. The cartel of careerists whose livelihood depends on having influence and authority, and they see Trump as a legitimate threat to that influence and authority. They're going to do anything. So, so they believe that if they indict Trump, he becomes more of a force du jour in the Republican primary. It's more likely that he wins. You know who had a bad day yesterday in the Republican primary? Everybody not named Donald Trump. That's a hell of a note in America, isn't it? The guy gets indicted, and it's more likely now that he wins the Republican primary. But they believe the indictment scares off the Seinfeld watcher. That they believe the guy who's watching Seinfeld, the lady who's watching Seinfeld, are saying to themselves, Maybe subconsciously. I mean, maybe you don't. You, they're not as tuned into this as I am, or you are, or our listeners are. I mean, they're very passive in their involvement in American politics. But but the the Democrats, and I'm talking about the cartel of careerists, and this is not ideological. This is not Hamiltonian, Jeffersonian. This is not political theorizing about how the country should or should not be governed. This is about power and control. Period. What does BlackRock want? What does Vanguard want? What does Goldman Sachs want? What does corporate America want? What, what do they talk about at the World Economic Forum in Davos? I mean, do you really believe they gather in Davos and say, hey, are you a Jeffersonian or a Hamiltonian? 
It's power, influence, money. I mean, that's what it's all about. And Trump threatens to kind of upset the apple cart. So, so that's, they're, they're, everything they do is strategy related. How can we, I mean, if we believe DeSantis is tougher to beat than Trump, in, in other words, if we believe that we lose more Seinfeld watchers to DeSantis than we do Trump, how do we make sure Trump's the nominee? And the way to make sure Trump's the nominee was indicting. But, but then does he get dinged in November 2024? Does the Seinfeld watcher say, I do believe the guy got treated unfairly. I, I think he's a narcissistic ass. I think he's irreverent. I think he's a lot of those things they accuse him of. And I do believe that there was a double standard. But I can't bring myself to vote for a guy who's been indicted. The first American, I'm not voting for a dirty president. What, what, what is this law enforcement driving dirty? You know, riding, yeah, dirty. riding dirty. Riding dirty. I don't, I don't want to vote for a dirty president. I mean, he's kind of, he's damaged goods. I, I don't pay attention like some of those guys do. There's this guy on this radio show in, in Sumter, Florence, and Orangeburg, and he raises, you know what, every morning about what they did and what they might do and what they will do and how corrupt they are and cricket they are. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, I don't pay much attention to that. But I just don't want to vote for a guy who's been found guilty of a crime. That's their strategy. That's what they're banking on. Now, will it work? I don't have any idea. I, I don't. Um, the better question is, how can Trump market his brand and, and America first to the Seinfeld watcher in a way that not just gains sympathy, but gains a reasonable response? And by reasonable response, I mean, okay, let's say that, I don't know the majority, but let's say many, many Seinfeld watchers do believe there's a double standard. They do believe there's a two-tiered system. They, they, they don't trust me, to tell you the truth, but they don't trust Goldman or Vanguard either. They don't trust BlackRock. They don't trust the FBI. They really don't trust anybody, but they're not spending a lot of their time interested in who they trust or not. They're, they're living their lives. They're coaching baseball. They're, you know, they're at the beach sitting on. You see where I'm headed. I mean, it's the majority of Americans. I, I tell people all the time, Fox News is the, political journalistic dynasty of our lifetime. They average, I mean, it's down now because Tucker left, but they're averaging what? Three million viewers a night, two and a half. That's probably closer to two and a half million viewers right now. That means 327.5 million Americans aren't watching Fox News. They're watching American Idol, The Voice. Um, you know, the, the, I, mean, I go back to the Seinfeld Watcher because it is the sitcom of, of this generation. And, and that's, but, 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 you know, Robert would have a better idea. And I'd love, I mean, I, I know I turned my phone over, so I don't know if he's text back or not, but we're trying to line Robert up for 920. I doubt Robert has data that shows independent voters after an indictment. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the question. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the only question. Trump had trouble with independent voters anyway. But, but now, does he have a bigger problem with or, Seinfeld or watchers. Is he a more sympathetic but, figure? Well, to those I, but, but I think he is more sympathetic. But does it lead to votes? You and I have historically walked to the abyss. But we would vote for George W. Bush. May have wanted to vote for for H.W. May have, I mean, some of, some of you probably wanted to vote for Buchanan because you wanted to be a bit of a, you know, uh, a contrarian. But you didn't because, you know, we kind of did what we're supposed to do. We're loyal and obedient and you know, the party knows best, and let's go down that road. And, you know, I, I can't answer that question. Now, personally, 
I am more of a Trump supporter today than I've been in a long, long, long time. But that's an emotional reaction. I, I've got to stoop. I, I just got to settle down, let some of this work itself out, and then let's decide who's more likely to beat the Democrat than not. That's my way of thinking. Certainly, you're entitled to think in a very different sort of way. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. A sidekick thinks we're here to provide a service to the community. I think we're here to make money and stir controversy. <laughs> so, so, Whatever. So there's the discrepancy <laughs> in, in, a, in the mission of accomplishment or the mission of intent. Um, we, we had Jim Jordan with us yesterday, talked a lot about the oversight committee, had Congressman Russell Fry with us uh, this morning. Both members, or Russell's a member, of the, excuse me, Congressman Fry is a member of the oversight um, committee. That's not been the dominant story today. We've not paid much attention. And, and I want to go back to the beginning of the show. If I'm hosting a radio show and it's the morning after a former president gets indicted for the first time in American history, and that's not the central story of the show, I don't know that I'm doing my job as effectively as it needs to be, as it needs to be. It doesn't diminish this other story. And I think this other story has legs. And I think the media at some point in time will be forced to deal with uh, what the oversight committee is working on. We have with us a political strategist. With over 20 years of experience in government and politics, uh, knows more about Washington insiderism than I do. I'm Terry Hasdorf. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks so much. I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. So, Ms. Hasdorf, um, we've tried to understand, and, and obviously today's been a different day because we've talked a lot about the indictment of what we know, what we don't know, what we're, what we're speculating. But there's another story out there that I think is equally as substantial and important, and that is what sort of business are the Bidens in, and is there a paper trail to substantiate legitimately investigating? That's what the Oversight Committee is trying to find out. What, what do you make of this as someone who is uh, familiar with how Washington works? Well, that really is the question, and you know that's what the, the committee's trying to get to the bottom of, the fact that uh, the FBI was withholding information from them uh, did not look very good. And that's uh, why I'm glad that the information has now finally been turned over. So as it is being reviewed uh, today, we'll see where that leads next week. Ms. Hasdorf, I've been an elected official. You've been around politics for a long, long time. We've had sincere debates about the size of government, the scope of government, the priorities of government. But, but to me, we're having a debate today about whether government operates one way for certain groups of people and another way for other groups of people. Is there a double standard? Is there a two-tiered um, justice system? How concerned should the American people be about that question? Well, I think they should be very concerned because, you know, the American constitutional form of government is based on four things, authority, privacy, responsibility, and justice. Justice is a cornerstone of our democracy. So if you don't have judicial systems working properly, your very democracy is in jeopardy. So this is something that the American people have to watch closely. We have to keep our leaders accountable. We need to be minding the store. And, and it falls on us. You know, we, we always, I think, have this mindset that somebody else is going to do it. And we don't have the luxury of that anymore. What can the oversight committee do? I mean, I think Chuck Grassley, when he said he was not concerned whether the allegations were true or not. I mean, that may or may not have been taken out of context. I interpreted his conversation or his comments as saying, we're not the investigative authority. 
I mean, we have oversight over the FBI. We trust them to do their job in a bipartisan and neutral fashion. Is that a fair analysis of Senator Grassley's comments? Yes, I think so. And, you know, the, the committee has one role, but you also have uh, there's an office at the Justice Department called the Office of Public Integrity. That office was created in the wake of the Watergate scandal. Uh, its entire purpose and the reason why it was created uh, was to combat political corruption at all levels of government. So that office is the one that should be, you know, watching over some of this as well. Uh, you know, the FBI is is right now, I think, in a place where the American people have a lot of, uh, you know, lack of trust in in what's been happening. And so, if if there are issues there and and areas that need to be strengthened. Uh, then, then the systems need to address that. I have an opinion. Love to get yours on this, and I guess I'm dragging you in, into the world of um of speculation and conjecture. I have an opinion about Trump, and it's this: the very people that are trying to destroy Dr- Donald Trump are making him a more powerful political force. Um, the, the the Trump base is highly suspicious of of government equity. Does government treat everybody the same way? And when you indict the former president on things that obviously Hillary Clinton did, obviously Joe Biden has done, I mean, I get, um, you know, grossly negligent, juxtaposed to, to willfulness, but, but is, that, is that something that concerns you? Whether you like Trump or not, whether you vote for Trump or vote against Trump, he, he's somewhat of an embodiment of this high degree of suspicion the American people have about the fairness of its government. Absolutely. You know, crimes need to be investigated regardless of the party regardless of the power of the person who committed the crime. Uh, If crimes were committed on the right or the left, they need to be investigated. And that's what ultimately the the, the FBI has an opportunity right now to right the ship if that's not what's been going on. Uh, And and we have, you know, (laughs) a a system where uh, the FBI was originally founded in 1908 to investigate corruption in government. So it needs to be done in a way that is equal and fair. Last question. You, you're on, on your resume here. It says that you spent a good bit of time in government in Washington. Is Washington oblivious to this? Is Washington so insulated from what I'll call flyover USA that they're not aware how much frustration the average American has with its government? Well, you know, I think anytime you uh, are are removed from the people who are the ones that you're representing and, and not in touch with them as much as you should be. Um, there can be obviously, you know, a lack of, of understanding, but it's also on us as the American people to be more politically engaged. And that's something that, that I've been advocating for quite heavily. I've even written a book about that called running into the fire. And it's, you know, basically saying it's, it's on us. It's our job. If we don't like what we see happening around us, it's our job to change it, and we've got to have more honest people in government. Uh, there are a lot of people in government that are honest, believe it or not. They just need more reinforcement. They need more more people like them to help support them. And uh, if they don't have that, it's very hard as a lone wolf to get things done the right way. Where could we find that book? That, that's kind of an interesting theory, and it's something I'd be – where can our listeners find uh, that book for sale? Sure. So you can get it off my website, uh, godovergovernment.com. Uh, It's also available in all the major retailers, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon has it as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Have a great day. Thank you so much. We're we're trying to give a lot of different perspectives here this morning. we got moving targets around, uh, unless you've not noticed, the the delegation are not here. First time in a long time that none of the three 
are available, middle of summer. They're traveling, doing things with their with their family. They actually let me know last night. I woke up to a text this morning that the um the third leg of the stool would not be here um, this morning. Understand it. And um, summer gets busy, and we get a little bit out of our usual and normal um, routines. I did send a text to all three saying my people will be in touch with their people about compensation and, you know, the, the, the pension benefits that they're afforded by being a frequent guest on this feeble <laughs> attempt. At, at are, you're not going to dock their pay, are you? Uh, not, not at all. Okay. You know, I, I want to go back to something we touched on a second ago. Is there a caller on the phone? Yeah. Let, let's go there. Let's be fair to our, to our listeners yes, and callers. Verd Odom in Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. Good morning. Uh, Ken, uh, <clears throat> I sent you a post this morning. You can read it later on. It was something I posted at 430 this morning. Uh, 250 years of America, something that's never been done, but the – Crooked Biden administration, the crooked DAJ, and the most, without a doubt, the most crooked political family in American history. Uh, they uh, did something yesterday that I tried to come up with words, and it came up to uh, Banana Republic. That is exactly what they did yesterday. Uh, this thing has been going on now for eight years. When Donald Trump came down the elevator, Maxine Waters was hollering, uh, impeach Donald Trump, and he hadn't even got out on the campaign trail. It's been an eight-year mission uh, because of one thing. Donald Trump has got we the people on his side, and they cannot control that. So they have to take him out of the equation, and they haven't been too successful at it, and they won't be successful at it this time. I think Nancy Mace, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, I think she put it about as well as could be put last night on her interview. She said that Joe Biden and his crook, well, she didn't say crooked, but she said Joe Biden's administration yesterday uh, handed the uh, Republican nomination in 2024 to Donald Trump, and I think that's without a doubt probably true. I think he's going to get stronger. I would love to see the money that comes in in the next 24 hours to the Trump campaign. I think it would probably be mind-boggling. But the average person, they understand this for what it is. Uh, Ken, I do differ with you. I know there's a lot of Seinfeld people, uh, uh, voters that watch Seinfeld out there. I've never watched the show. <laughs> but uh, there's also a lot of uh, millions and millions of uh, housewives and men, women, that are facing the uh, onslaught of what the Biden administration has done to America over the last three years. High inflation, high gas, uh, uh, just total, uh, just total, uh, in, I don't know, I don't, even, I don't even think there's a word to talk about how bad the Biden administration has been. But there's millions of those people. And I think in the end, uh, I don't care to where you, we know that the uh, primary next year is pretty much just a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee of the Republican Party. In the general election, I think that the economy is going to continue to uh, waver with Joe Biden in control of the White House, and millions and millions of Americans are going to know that, and they're feeling it, and they've been feeling it for three years, and they're going to reelect Donald Trump as the 47th president of the United States. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate that. Here's the enthusiasm. And the um the uh, what about the, the defiance? I mean, there's a defiance in his voice yeah, as well. You know, you're not going to steer us away from our uh, from our leader. And and I, I just I want to be careful. I'm not discouraging. I'm not encouraging people to discouraging people from watching Seinfeld or, or from being loyal to Trump. I, I just think you've got to you got to let this brew a bit. We we've got to. I mean, I, I'm as bad as anybody about getting emotionally invested and reacting based on that emotional investment. When I woke up this morning, I wanted to go vote for Donald Trump. I mean, I, I just felt like, I mean, if I had his number, I'd text him and say, hey, man, this sucks, but hang in there. I mean, we've got your back. Tr- Trump is a human being that will let you down. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just who he is. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's who we, we all are. There's a very loyal, excuse me, th- there's a very just cause 
And and that's my belief in America first. And 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 when when, when I think about what motivates me, what 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 inspires me to stay involved and committed to politics, it's it's the idea of America first. It's the concept of America first. I totally understand the rele- relevancy of Donald Trump. I mean, I applaud the the um the the, the warrior like way he went about confronting all of the things that that um that Verd was talking about, the things that Drew talked about yesterday, um, the the two tiered system, the ah, the double standard. I mean, he he was the I guess the victim. If we've had a victim in this, hard to make Trump a victim. But but you know, Verd's answering a question that I don't know the answer. Verd's more confident than I am that the Seinfeld watcher is paying closer attention. Um, I don't think they are. I do believe Verd's right about this. I think Verd is right about the Seinfeld watcher and the price of gas, the price of a gallon of milk, what it costs to go to a restaurant with two kids and a wife. I mean, I, I think he's. I think the Seinfeld watcher is well aware of that. But but I don't think they're intimately understanding of the two tier justice system and the the double standard that I believe exists. And here's why. And and I, I think Andy McCarthy made an interesting point. And being a bit redundant here, but I mean we have. We have to be repetitive because our audience kind of transitions in and out. McCarthy says that they're they're charging Trump with the Espionage Act because the prosecutors are relying on a provision that criminalizes willful violations of the rules that government officials are required to follow in handling national defense intelligence. That is, in McCarthy's opinion and mine, kind of an obvious effort to distinguish what Trump has done with what Biden and Clinton did. I mean, there, there's no denying that Trump mishandled classified documents. There's no denying that Obama mishandled classified documents. Bush 43, I don't remember 41, Bush 43 mishandled classified documents. Um, Hillary Clinton mishandled classified documents. So, so I'm not denying that. And, and technically, that's a violation of federal law. I mean, mishandling classified documents is a crime. So Donald Trump, by definition, by technical definition, Donald Trump is a criminal. But it looks to me, and it looks to Andy McCarthy like, the Espionage Act gives the prosecution some cover by saying Donald Trump willfully, willfully disobeyed government edict and order. Donald Trump knew that he had those documents in his possession, and he knew they weren't supposed to be in his possession, and he did it anyway. But that's the Espionage Act. And and if you remember the two words, when, when, when Comey had the press conference, and, and he basically said Hillary Clinton committed a crime. I mean, she had in her possession classified documents, but she was grossly negligent. It was inadvertent. She never intended to violate or break um, the law. Now, now you know, Congressman Fry makes an interesting, you know, intent's not included in some of these statutes. It's um, it's did you or did you not? Uh, but but that seems to be where where the prosecution is headed. But but I think it's a uh, it's an extraordinary moment in American history. I mean, I, I have the misfortune of hosting a political radio show on the morning after, for the first time in our nation's existence, a former president is under indictment of the federal government. I mean, that's really, the, I mean, that's the macro of all macros. We can get into nuances. He did it. He didn't do it. He willfully did it. Uh, she inadvertently did it. 
I mean, those are those are debates within, and I would imagine the Trump defense will argue the merits of some of those points. But you know, the 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 sitting president hires the AG. The AG has oversight over the FBI and the DOJ, and the AG answers to the president and Merrick Garland. And there is no way in hell that that Jack Smith did this without the blessing of Merrick Garland. Now, now, Biden did say, I want to get his quote. I think this is interesting because uh, he says just such dumb things. Um, <laughs> Biden said, I have never once, not a single time, suggested to the Justice Department what they should do or not do relative to bringing a charge or not bringing a charge. I'm honest. I mean, those are the last two words in this quote. I'm honest. I'm honest. Y- you know, when. That's you, odd to say. Well, I mean, that, that's very odd. That's very, I'm honest. I mean, this is about, you know, that, that's just, that, that, those words should freak everybody it's out. It's like when he's given a speech and says, not a joke. Yeah. Get ready because here comes a zinger. Well, he said yesterday, where's the money? <laughs> Somebody asked him about the, the you know, the the, the the oversight committee and they're investigating into, you know, whether or not he took money from Burisma and Ukraine. And, and he says, you know, it's, it's well, I mean, after he said, where's the money? And then he kind of smiled and says, a bunch of malarkey. But, but, I mean, I'm telling you, guys, the Democrats have gotten so comfortable because they control the narrative. I mean, it's like the Gamecocks and Tigers playing one another in football, and every referee lettered at South Carolina in football. And Clemson throws an 80-yard touchdown pass. And while the guy's crossing the goal line, the former Gamecock player throws the flag, holding on number 71. So two plays later, the tailback from Clemson runs 74 yards for a touchdown. And as he's nearing the five-yard line, the Gamecock former player turned official, throws the flag and says, clipping, you know, or blocking in the back. I mean, you know, that's that's where the Democrats are. They're that comfortable in their own skin, and they have control of academia, the media, you know, all these allied forces that, you know, dominate what news we get, don't get, narratives we hear, don't hear, um, reasons that are allowed to be proposed or not. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937, last hour of this, week's, of this week's worth of radio. It's been kind of an interesting um, week. We said earlier, I'll say again, there are a lot of stories out there that we're paying close attention to. We spent a good bit of time this week talking about Jim Comer, um, Kentucky Congress member, chair of the Oversight Committee, whether they should do this or whether they should do that with the 1023 form and the FBI. The threat of contempt was held over the head of the FBI director. But but I, but I go back to if I'm hosting a radio show the day after, for the first time in American history, a former president is indicted of a crime, and that's not the, the lead story, I don't know that we're doing the job as seriously as we should. But there is this other story, and it is – an important story, and I think it has legs, and we'll find out where it leads. Jim Comer threatened Christopher Ray with contempt charges. Ray began negotiating, I would imagine in good faith, with Comer. Um, they compromised. Every member of the Oversight Committee was able to review the document. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? 
I'm doing good. Happy Friday. Same. Stay away from the smoke. Yeah, same. Well, we're not yeah. dealing with the smoke down here as much as you guys are up there, and I'm sorry for that. How is it better today, Ryan, than it was yesterday? Uh, it, it looks like it looks like it's a lot better, and, and especially in New York, where you saw some of the really craziest images. It looks like it's cleared up significantly. Good deal. Thinking about you guys, and hope things work out in the uh, northeast part of our the, the 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 power hub of our nation, Red, yeah. the great the great northeast. So, so Ryan, I've tried to articulate to our audience as best I know how um, what, what's happened, and we walk through the progression of events. But, but does it appear to you that Comer is satisfied with what Ray has committed to? Well, he certainly has kind of been been touting this as a victory based off of some of the statements he's made to different members of the press. And and McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, it's very similar where he's very happy with what uh, Comer was able to obtain. So uh, it looks like he, he's satisfied right now. And also, I think one thing that, that needs to be pointed out also is that there's uh, two additional documents that Comer and Raskin are going to be able to look at down the road. So we should probably keep that in mind also. How much of this will be made public, Ryan? I mean, how much will we know? I mean, how much is when, when they review the, the documents, they're not <laughs> classified, but when they review the documents, I mean, there's some confidentiality involved in this. How much can Comer and Raskin disclose to we the people? Yeah, I, I think they're still pretty limited because it, this is still related to an investigation. You know, the, the FBI is declassified to the point that, you know, members of Congress were able to go over to FBI headquarters and look at the document. And then ultimately, those same documents were sent over to the, the oversight committee and they were able to look at it. But whether or not we're able gonna, ever going to be able to see it and what they're going to be able to release about that document, I still think is going to be a mystery. One of the confusing parts of this story, and I want to get your take on this. You're journalistic. You've probably done uh, the investigation necessary to answer this question. But there's some confusion about whether or not this is an ongoing investigation. There's been some talk, CNN reported, that Bill Barr said the investigation had concluded. He now says, no, that's not what I said. Uh, yeah. uh, Congressman Raskin says the investigation, I mean, th this this issue was looked into. There was nothing there. They closed the investigation. W what does your uh, investigation show? Well, so what it looks like is that this was started towards the end of the Trump administration by Bill Barr and, you know, as part of an inquiry from President Trump. And ultimately, it looks like, you know, the, the, the power of the Department of Justice and the presidency ultimately switched. So it looks like if Bill Barr, and in fact, what he's been saying is the truth, that he never closed the investigation. It looks like the investigation may have stayed open, but it, it, it's currently just not being acted on by uh, any of the parties, just based off what we know. But, you know, the FBI could still be looking into this. We don't know. It, it's just really a major mystery right now. Well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great weekend, sir. Hey, you too. Thank you. And, and that's kind of, you, you kind of coax a journalist into answering the question a certain way. We succeeded there. You may not have noticed that, but we succeeded there. Ryan basically implied, I mean, he's a journalist. He's not an opinion monster. But Ryan basically implied that it was an active investigation. Trump doesn't get reelected. There's a new attorney general. There's a new directive. And the investigation was not as much of a priority. I mean, that's always been my suspicion, not my interpretation. Because I don't have an interpretation. The only thing I can act on in regards to that is a suspicion. I've always believed that Barr 
was investigating whether or not that there's something to see here. Biden gets sworn in as president. Barr is no longer the AG. Merrick Garland steps in. Merrick Garland is not as enthusiastic. <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, you know, Merrick Garland, the AG appointed by Joe Biden, is not very enthusiastic about demanding or commanding the FBI to investigate his boss as aggressively as maybe Bill Barr would or would not have. Now, now there's no confusion here. The reports that Barr suspended or closed the investigation is fabricated. It's just not true. This goes back to trusting CNN. I mean, this really, I mean, when you think about it, and, and, I, and I looked at Twitter last night this morning, it amazes me how many never-Trumpers still quote CNN. And they do it as if it's a mic drop moment. I mean, it's a, um, it's Adam Kinzinger, it's Joe Walsh, it's some of the, and I'm not they believe about the, it. Oh, they they believe it. Well, I mean, they have a blind loyalty to that to that narrative. I mean, they just, you know, they accept that hook, line, and sinker, and and, and anybody that says things that incriminate Donald Trump, they buy. I mean, they buy into. But but you look foolish. I mean, when you regurgitate some of the things CNN has said, you look foolish. I'm sorry, but it's a bit juvenile to put as much stock in what CNN says as some smart people do. It's a little bit, it's kind of an interesting human study. Uh, How can smart people believe dumb things? Well, I mean, history's full of that. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I'm not a smart person, but I've I've fallen for dumb things. Uh, You you go to the carnival. You go to, you you know where I'm headed. I mean, um, I I, I got a buddy of mine. I'll never call his name. I've got a buddy of mine who, who likes going to strip clubs. And he believes that this girl's paying him more attention than she will anybody ever. I mean, he believes he's the chosen one. You know what I mean? He's, I'm like, dude, there, there's somebody else last night and somebody else tomorrow night. She's after your money, not your heart. <laughs> she's after your money. <laughs> and um, and he refused, but, but he, and he's a smart guy. I mean, he's an educated man. He's done well in business, but he, he just, he, he has this whatever about him that, that he can't get past. And, and I do believe that if you've conditioned yourself to hate Donald Trump, and, and and I do believe this, Rip, I think there's some personal gratification in hating Trump. I think society, I think proper society is conditioned a certain percentage of Americans that hating Trump is virtuous. It's I honorable. Think I think you're right. It, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. It's ethical and moral and honorable and virtuous if you hate if you hate Trump. So if CNN feeds you this narrative, you, you want to believe it so desperately. It's a, it's a little like well, it's a little like the Gamecocks and Tigers in football up until this past year. I mean, as a Gamecock fan, I, I mean I know Clemson's better, but I felt the Gamecocks had a fighting chance. I mean I knew some things had to happen, and they did. And the Gamecocks upset Clemson in Death Valley, but the, the three or four years prior to that. You go to the game. Now, now, the only way you convince yourself that this could be an upset is, you know, um, libations. I mean, <laughs> the distortion of the mind. You're saying there's a chance. Well, I mean, you, sure, and, and you convince yourself that yeah. you know there's no chance, but but you convince yourself because of your blind loyalty to something you convinced is uh, is something you just believe in. I mean, you know, there's an irrationality associated with that. Let's take a break. We hope to contact or hope to um, connect with Robert Cahaley. Uh, well, let me now. Anyway, let's take a break. News on the other side. Or I'll have some news about whether Kaylee can do this or not. Back in a few. Or it could get even worse. No. Oh. <laughs> 
There's always, there's always, there's always that option. Eight four three. Well, yeah. Don't don't ever think it can't get any worse. Because right. rest assured, uh, it can. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Yeah, we could make that happen. Here's Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. This is this is all done to do exactly what it's doing. Create doubt in Trump. I mean, you know, we we've already said, well, he's he's guilty or whatever. He's been indicted. Well. Indictment is is a relative term because it's all one sided. The defense wasn't there to put anything up, so they're doing this to cast doubt and to take everything away. You know, they've already de- determined that Clinton's sock drawer was okay for him to keep classified stuff in. So, you know, the, the secure facility to keep presidential papers. And is is wherever they decide to keep it. I think Cause they determined that in 2012. But this is all. Even if he's convicted, the Supreme Court will overturn it, just like they've done everything else. I noticed finally one of one of the reps y'all have on. I think it was Jay the other week, not two three weeks ago. Every time he referred to Democrats, he he used the word communist. And we need to start doing that because if you watch uh, Hakeem Jeffries at, at the House, the minority leader, every time he talks about Republicans, it's MAGA Republican extremist, MAGA Republican extremist, white supremacist, you know. So we need, if we're going to fight fire with fire, we need to, to get into this and and. It's an old adage of you, you hit your finger with a hammer, you get pain. And that's what people don't understand. When Biden says, where's the money? Well, when you get a 1023 that says this happened in this date, and then you follow the bank accounts and you see 5 to $10 million go into these different bank accounts and then go back out to all the Biden, there's the, the finger hurting compared to the hammer hitting. So it's, it's real simple, just follow the money, and Biden's taunting them now saying, well, where's the money? Well, that's that's to keep us off of all this other stuff, the executive order on voting that all the government facilities are getting involved in, the executive order on CBD, you know, whatever, it's it's to distract away from that and put doubt in Trump. And I tell you, I'm voting for Trump. I don't care who they put up there. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Eight four three six six one oh nine three seven. Th- those are kind of the angles we. The the only the only thing I want to focus on. And and look, J- Joe focuses on what Joe focuses on. You know, all of you have a right. You you don't do what I say. Do. I mean, I'm going to make my mind up. You'll make your mind up. You you'll react accordingly. Um, I am more interested in the sustainability of America first than anything. I'm a libertarian leaning populist Jeffersonian at heart. I mean, that's, that's in my bones. That's in my DNA. I accept some of the uh, brush fires. I accept some of the anomalies and ebbs and flows. And I mean, you know, I've never believed that government was going to work the way I wanted government to work all the time, every time. I certainly don't believe that. And you would be foolish to think that. But when I woke up this morning 
my priority was not the preservation, but the effectiveness or not of America first. Trump probably broke the law. But he broke the law in the same way George W. Bush broke the law. Barack Obama broke the law. Now, now we can argue um, willfully or, um, you know, negligence or, you know, inadvertent. But there, there's a lot of words that will parse. But you're talking about a city who, you know, took a year to decide what the definition of is is. I mean, th- th- there's a very technical, um, you know, bureaucratic way that we look at some of the uh, events. But but I, I don't think we can discount the the reality. And, I, I you know, I understand what Joe's saying. You know, this will happen and that will happen to the Supreme Court. It's an extraordinary moment in American history. I mean, stop in your tracks for a second. This country is, what, 240 some odd years old. Never before in American political history has a former president been indicted by the federal government. That's never, ever happened. There's a lot of things that have happened. There's a lot of things that you liked and I liked and, and a lot of things that I and I didn't like and you know, Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian, the libertarians and, and liberals and conservatives and you know, insiders and outsiders. I mean, we've had a lot of political spasms in our existence. I mean, that's what happens when you, 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 you allow man to govern fellow man. I mean, that, that happens. The allowance of man to govern fellow man leads to political confusion and instability and unpredictability. I mean, that's the nature of human beings. But this has never happened, and that's important. Never before in American history has a former president been indicted of a crime. I understand the one-sided nature of the, uh, the grand juries. I understand the inconsistencies. I understand the double standard. I understand uh, the two-tier justice system. But, but I don't think you can diminish the extraordinary moment of today. It's something that has never happened in our nation's history. And we can't say that any longer. I mean, you, an anchor from CNN can't look at the camera and say, you know, never before has an American president been indicted by the federal government. Now it has. I mean, we, we, we've crossed the Rubicon. We are in a different age in America today. And I'll go back to Joe's secondary point. How do you combat? I mean, I'm not, I'm not for being rude and disrespectful and insulting. I mean, I'd rather us have a civil and... And, you know, debate, a civil debate with decorum. You know, you believe this, I believe that. But in a civil way, let's disagree. And maybe we compromise, maybe we don't. But but for for the last 15 years, Obama gets elected in 08. For the last 15 years, I've been called a racist and a white supremacist. Not, not because anybody knows who I am and what I'm about. I affiliate with a certain political ideology. I'm a conservative. I, I'm, I'm a libertarian Jeffersonian. Very few of those in the media. Very few in bureaucratic agencies within government. So, so the, I, I guess that gives them the authority. And I do believe that some of these liberals believe they're doing God's work. But by diminishing my value on a sliding scale of, you know, how, how can we execute policy? How can we define America's future? I, I'm doing God's work. I mean, I'm stopping those racists. I'm stopping those misogynists. I'm stopping those white supremacists. That's what I'm doing. Well, I do think Joe's right. I mean, it's time to fight fire with fire. It's time to call them what they are. And if they're a communist weirdo, then call them a communist weirdo. Once again, I would rather civility reign supreme. I would rather decorum carry the day. 
but but it's not. I mean, we are in a different political moment. And and I love these people who say, well, I mean, look at all the nastiness Trump brought to the political realm. No. Trump brought a resistance to the nastiness. Trump bought, uh, brought about an empowerment to resist those who have historically called you a, a racist or a misogynist or a, um, a transphobic, closed-minded, knuckle-dragging NASCAR fan. I mean, that, I mean that, you know, the, since 2008, that's what you have become. And, and you know, you've been politically marginalized. And, and you kind of look in the mirror at times. Be honest with yourself. You kind of look in the mirror at times and say, man, I hope I'm not everything they accuse me of because I have this worldview. And I have these set of values and beliefs. You're not. But they've been very effective in dominating the discourse. And Trump shows up, and, and he's kind of a street fighter and a brawler, and he empowers people. I mean, he doesn't empower people to seek elected office, but he empowers people to believe they can make a difference if they rally around this very unconventional, controversial, imperfect figure, maybe, just maybe, we the people still matters. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington, good morning. Hey, uh, I, I think you got that right up to a point there, Ken. And But I agree with Joe. You got you got to start to uh, calling a spade a spade. You got to call it, uh, you got to call it when it, it's, uh, if they're communist, anti-humanist, these are anti-humanist people out there. They hate people. I don't know where that comes from, but I, I would say uh, that it, it probably comes from the pit of hell. And some people, it's a cult we're fighting with at this point, and we've got to get our, our stuff in order right quick because I don't know if we can survive if we don't uh, get get people out there and get get the votes out there to whoever is on the ticket so that they win the next time. And if it takes harvesting votes or whatever, uh, getting our own mules to go out here and pick up votes at nursing homes, then, then that's what we have to do. But uh, right now we're in a mess, and I don't put a bit of faith in that. Oh, uh, Barr, I sent it down to the uh, prosecutor down in Delaware. Well, it, it it's like a, a boxcar sitting on a siding. It's not going anywhere fast until a locomotive hooks up to it and drags it on down the road. And we'll have to drag these people down the road because they they resisted everything about Trump. And the thing about Trump, I think, that drives them absolutely wild is how fastly, how 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 quickly, and how fast he started repairing things and putting things in place. People have been talking about building a wall for years. I mean, 50 years ago, people needed they needed some sort of restraints on the border. But Trump went ahead and started fixing it. And that's the kind of he, – he, and he started taking regulations off business and the economy so the economy could work. And he directly challenged the bureaucracy by saying, "Hey, if you want a new regulation, you got to get a bit, get rid of five of these others." And that is something that is dragging on the American people, the American economy, and it is a it's a hindrance to prosperity and everything we believe in. At the same time, I mean, everyone you want to say, "Well, Trump is guilty." 
Well, none of us are perfect. All all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But right now, we're uh, engaged in probably facilitating one of the largest slave trades since before the Civil War. And uh, they've, they've literally lost track, have no idea where they are, 85,000 children. And that's not counting all the criminals and who else that we've let into the country down there on the border? We have this thing going on down there, and it's terrible what the way it will threaten our country for generations to come. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. we, we got to take a break here and just say that's a lot. I mean, Mike my, my <laughs> covered about six or eight different things there. I, I, I will say, I mean, the one thing Mike hit on is it doesn't matter. Trump, DeSantis, Christie, Nikki Haley— Tim Scott, if two numbers stay the same, it's over. And the numbers are 42.5 and 33.8. In the 2022 midterms, 42.5 of the early votes were Democrats. I mean, Democrats gained that big an advantage, nearly nine-point advantage. Republicans have to accept that it's not election day any longer. It's election season. DeSantis has an agenda. Trump has an agenda. Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, all of those candidates offer something to the debate. None of those candidates win if Republicans don't address ballot harvesting, if they don't address the, the practicality that voting day is now voting season. I mean, it's kind of an opening day and a closing day of a voting season. I don't like it. I don't think it's good for democracy. I don't think it's good for the country. But, but it can't stay that different. It you can't better be, figure out I mean, how to do it. You can't have 42.5 Democrat, 33.8 Republican, and expect anybody to win with an R beside their name at the federal level. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We think we have with us from Miami, Fox News Radio's Eben Brown. Eben, good morning. How are you? Good morning. There are a lot of stories that we've tried to cover this week. This is the biggest story, I think, because it's unprecedented. It's an extraordinary event in American history. For the first time in our history, a former president has been indicted by the federal government. What, what is the, I mean, I've given the, the op- opinion monster accounting. What is the, uh, what is the journalistic narrative here, Evan? Well, I, I don't know about narrative, but uh, what I can tell you is that uh, there is an indictment. We don't know the details or the specifics of it because it is sealed. We will uh, perhaps uh, hopefully uh, read it when it becomes unsealed, and that should be on Tuesday, perhaps by the afternoon, when the former president, Donald Trump, is due in the U.S. District Court in Miami to be arraigned. Uh, and uh, we suspect that he would be released. Um, we suspect he would not be held. That would bring this to a whole other level. Uh, but uh, for some people, they uh, they may not be surprised. I don't, you know, that's, I guess that's how, how you feel about things. Uh, but regardless, what we do know is that uh, the, uh, the allegations may involve something to do with the Espionage Act and may also involved, uh, involve something along the lines of obstruction uh, which, uh, or, or more specifically, or, or less specifically, rather, uh, process crimes, uh, crimes that you commit in the process of committing other crimes, uh, in which case you need to sort of prove the underlying crime in order to prove the process crime, if I've 
hopefully not lost you here, but you can't, for instance, if you're alleging an obstruction of an investigation, you kind of have to allege that there was an underlying crime going on. Uh, otherwise, what are you obstructing? Uh, but uh, in terms of where we go from here, we don't know. We're in, we're in uncharted waters. Um, certainly, I think a, a legal procedure will play out. But the question I have, and I think a lot of people have, is what comes next? What happens to the next guy? Uh, do we, is this a new standard? Uh, do, we, do we apply the standard going backwards to people like President Biden and Vice President Pence uh, and others who have uh, retained documents that maybe they shouldn't have, or uh, no matter what the reason? Uh, do we apply it going forward? Does, does every successive administration now look at the last guy and see what they can nab him for? in terms of document handling and process crimes. Uh, does it only happen if the, if the former guy is trying to become the next president again, facing you again in some kind of showdown politically, electorally? Uh, these are a lot of questions that we just don't have answers to, but they do kind of strike at the, at the core of our, really our national identity, who we are as a republic. Uh, this is all new stuff for us. If you were in China or Cuba or Russia or Belarus, uh, this would be, you know, a given average Friday. You'd, you'd think nothing of this. But we, we're, we're not like that. Eben, you understand this because it's your job. To some degree, I understand it because it's my job. But for the majority of Americans, it's not their job. They depend on people like right. you and to some degree people like me to engage them and explain to them you know, where we are in this political moment. How do we tell people who believe that a lot of other people or presidents have done exactly what Trump's done, but they were dealt with different? In other words, the two-tier justice system, the, the right. equal application of law. I mean, I've, I've bumped into many, many confidants of mine who, who aren't journalists for Fox News. They don't host a four-hour politically-centric radio show, and they ask me to explain to them why Clinton did it why Obama and Bush have done it, and why Trump is getting treated. How do you explain that? Not, is that the job of a journalist? Well, is it, it where we are in America? To, it's hard to explain it in a way that most people would be satisfied with that explanation. Uh, if I could say this is uh, the, the, the law actually finally being applied, I would anger half the people listening probably, or maybe most. I don't know. Um, if I were to say that uh, this is uh, wholly unfair uh, and that Trump was being singled out and targeted and, dare I say, persecuted, uh, there would be plenty of people who would say, well, he deserves it anyway because he's Trump. You know, we have gotten to a point, I think, in this country where we have siloed ourselves, where we really don't listen to anyone else. And I'm not picking on one side or the other here. But I, I think that uh, if you just hate Donald Trump, you're you're very happy about what happened, and you are sitting there uh, hoping to get tickets to the show to see him locked up. Uh, if you absolutely love Donald Trump, it doesn't matter what he may or may not have done because you think he can do no wrong. Uh, and I, I think both sides don't necessarily leave room to to deal with certain realities that maybe there was something untoward, but. Maybe it's just not that bad that it ought to be treated this way. Uh, for things regarding classified or formerly classified documents, we have the Presidential Records Act, which isn't supposed to wind someone up in a federal courtroom. Quite the opposite, actually. 
So what what else happened? What else are they alleging happened that raises to the level of getting an indictment from a grand jury and having a former president be brought into a courtroom to have that, that those charges read to him and then given options legally how to proceed, you know, read him his rights. That's the you know, this is um, again, it's uncharted waters. Very well explained. And, and, and I want to give you a compliment. In one of the most unreasonable moments, your voice of reason, and I mean that in the most complimentary well, way I, imaginable. I, Thank I, you. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. It's, uh, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think we have siloed ourselves, and I don't blame any one person for it. I think it's been a long time coming, uh, but uh, I, I don't think it's productive. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. Appreciate that very much. Have a great weekend, sir. You too. Take care. That, that would be the perfect way to put a bow on it. I mean, I, I don't know that I can add anything. Evan wow. is a very wow. measured, um, an incredible, very reasonable, uh, unbelievably very respected. He's the hardest guy to get hold of in their stable of personalities. We actually had to run him down twice today, and we only had him for a few moments. I mean, he's a real, I mean, he's, a, he's an asset to Fox News. They know that. We know that. And the reason I asked Josh to reach out to the, I know how I feel, but, but, I, but I, I think I'm smart enough to understand that my feelings very often don't reflect accuracy. It's not the truth. And, and I, I want to hear others who have a job, an objective, a job to be objective and to report on how they feel. And it's almost like Evan couldn't stop himself from, from allowing his feelings. It was almost like, yeah, let me be a caller to a tall, let me be a caller to a call-in radio show, and 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 just just in, in, in the most therapeutic way imaginable, get things off my chest. Let let me decompress a bit. Let let me get some things, guys. This is a you ready? And I don't want to be flippant here, but but I'm from the country. This is a big ass deal. I mean, this is a big moment in American political history. I mean, the Never Trumpers have got what they want. I mean, since he went down the escalator. It was impeach and indict, impeach and indict, impeach and indict. Well, shame on you. Shame on you to make that your priority. Impeach and indict. Is Donald Trump the savior of the world? Of course not. Is Donald Trump the greatest president that ever lived? He thinks he is. I don't. I think he's a pretty good one. But, but Donald Trump embodied something that I think is at the center of America, and that is that all people are to be treated equally. What when a president blows it or goofs up, they're to be dealt with. What when a Congress member votes, I mean, when, when, excuse me, when the construction worker from Pamplico blows it, he's to be dealt with. And I think what Donald Trump has accomplished, whether he intended to or not, is shine the brightest light that has ever been shined on these cartel careerists who believe it's their right to have authority over our federal government. And they decide who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. They decide who gets indicted and who doesn't. They decide who gets punished to the fullest extent of the law and who doesn't. And if that's what you want, then you and I just want something fundamentally different because that's not the America I want to live in. Maybe it is the America you want to live in. Maybe revenge and resentment is something that motivates you in the most profound. It's not me. I don't know how to be that miserable. I don't know how to hate someone that irrationally, but because to me it becomes consuming. I don't care much for Obama. And I think Obama ushered in. 
I mean, we all debate when it began. You know, you know. I, I believe a lot of a lot of the suspicion and distrust Americans have of government in my generation began in Vietnam and Watergate. I mean, I believe that if they're willing to send kids off to a jungle to die in, in, in a dishonest narrative, they're willing to do about anything. And then you find out Kennedy, I mean, excuse me, I'm Nixon, I'm not, your president's not a crook, but he was a crook. I mean, he was a crook. And I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's degraded from there. And I think those who try and blame Trump for the political siloing, as Eben said, and the, ah, the not willing to have a debate with one another. You know, you've got your values and views. You dig in. I've got my values and views, and, and I'll dig in. That's part of Americana. I mean, it really and truly is. I mean, I, I've got a set of values that I'm not forsaking. I mean, I'll hear you out. And, and, and the pragmatist in me says we may find some common ground here. Th- those are ideological debates. I mean, they, they're very worthy. They're very inspirational. I mean, they, they should be a part of the national discourse. But, but I fundamentally believe that people within our federal government who believe it's their right to decide how our government runs, when it runs, how it runs, and who runs it, I think they are singling out a guy who they perceive to be a legitimate threat, and they know he has an army of people who don't believe government represents their best interests. I mean, that's the danger here. And I think when Trump says, it's not me they're after, it's you. I mean, th- th- there's some accuracy there. I mean, there absolutely is. 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. I mean, 81 supposedly voted for, for Joe Biden. Now you go to these numbers about early voting, voting season. Okay. Uh, voting, harvesting, private financing of campaigns. I mean, th- th- those are ancillary debates. Those are important debates, but they're ancillary debates. But, but are we comfortable living in a nation that has two sets of rules? One for those who are entitled or included. Or I guess there's a good list and a bad list. I mean, that, that, that's kind of a simpleton's way to look at it. And, and we aren't kids, and there's not a whiteboard. Here's the, here's the things you can do with the things you can't do. Here's the, you know, to your kid. Here's the good list. Here's the, here's the bad list. Um, how do you get on the good list and how do you get on the bad list? That's just not, I mean, I, I don't know how we got here. And I don't know how anybody listening to me this morning, love Trump, hate Trump, vote for Trump, but against Trump, you're certainly entitled to, and, and, and you have a right to every one of those opinions and you have a right to act upon those impulses and opinions. But how can you be proud that, that we've decided to indict a former president for the first time in American history, not for money laundering, not for murder, not for rape, not not for any of the uh, what what I'd call the, the the major crimes, crimes against humanity. What what God would say: Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. None of that. I mean, it's basically you know um, government nuance. The um the breach of presidential records keeping act. The Espionage Act. I mean, these are man-made laws. We're to abide laws, and I accept that in principle. But everybody should be treated the same. And at least half of the country don't believe that's the case. And once again, debates on ideology, debates on, on political persuasion, you win me over, I win you over, elections win the heart, minds, and soul of voters. I mean, that's self-governance. But, but once self-governance 
loses the fact, the, the, un, the, the unchallenged fact that justice is going to be applied equally, I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. And when you look at the percentage of Americans who don't trust the FBI, the percentage of Americans who don't trust the CIA, the percentage of Americans who don't trust the government in general, we're in a bad place. We're in a real bad place. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.